Ho, ho, ho! Merry Christmas, one and all! Welcome, children, to Anime Santa Claus's Kawaii Cabin, where we make all your anime wishes come true. Step right up and have a seat on Santa's lap and tell him what anime goodies you'd like for this Christmas. Well, go on, Bill. Have a seat on Santa's lap. Tell him exactly what anime you want for Christmas this year. Oh, okay, okay. Um, hello, Santa. I have a list I wrote of anime I would like to have. Can I read it to you, pretty please? Of course you can, son. Tell me what you've got. Okay, so I would like an officially licensed Blu-ray of Angel Egg, maybe from Shout Factory. Oh, wait, no! Criterion 4K. Then I would like a Blu-ray remaster of Lupin the Third, Fuma Conspiracy, and most of all, most of all, a budget-friendly edition of Legend of the Galactic Heroes. Please? Please? Pretty please? Oh, I'm so sorry, son. Unfortunately, I can't get you any of those things for Christmas. The licensing agreements just won't allow it. But here, I know just the thing. How about a collector's edition of your favorite anime, Code Geass? It even includes a Lancelot 64GB USB keychain replica, a fully functional chess set, and a hyperallogenic, series-accurate Geass symbol necklace. Here you go, son, and have a Merry Christmas! Gee, Santa. Thanks a lot. You must be having some amnesia plot. Ho ho ho! How about that? Welcome to another year of Anime Secret Santa as presented by Third Impact Anime. For those of you who have listened to the show for a few years know that we are active participants for the Anime Secret Santa project and this year was no different. But before we get into the episode proper, let's go ahead and introduce our participants this year. To my left, I have Bill. Yeah, ho, 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 Tobias. (laughs) And to my right, I have Austin. That was the same uh, cold open that you prompted him for last year, and now he finally followed up on it by doing it correctly the first time. I'm Austin. Hello. Good job, Bill, and good job, Austin. And uh, Austin, I think you, you were on... I didn't do anything. Trust me, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so Austin, you were on another podcast recently, speaking of Christmas Spirit. I did. I was on another podcast along with Bill and uh, Sully as well. So we were all very generously invited by our friends at the Sideburns and Cigarettes, a Lupin the Third podcast, to join them for their holiday special, which is definitely out by the time you're listening to this. So if you haven't already heard it, go check it out over on their feed. And um, that was just a really great way to sort of start the Christmas season in podcast land. Yeah, I really appreciate Drew and Emma and Natalie and Chris for having us out on that episode. It was a lot of fun. 
I think their connection to Christmas is very tenuous, but that's that was part of the part of the whole gag. So that's I had part a really of the good, fun. fun time there. Yeah, yeah, it was part of it was part of the fun, and it reminded me just uh, part two of Lupin can be just as wacky as part three. <laughs> right. But more so than that, it was just a you know good time around the the holiday fire, you know, drinking some virtual hot chocolate and talking about Lupin the Third. Mm-hmm. Nice. So yeah, if you out there in audience land are looking for some more Christmas themed episodes, podcast episodes to listen to on those long drives out there, go ahead and cue that up in your your playlist alongside this episode. So once again, we are here at Anime Secret Santa. So. If you're not really familiar with this, maybe your first time listening to our podcast or any of the other podcasts that participate in Anime Secret Santa, this is a little thing started many years ago by the Reverse Thieves podcast. It was eventually picked up by the All Geeks Considered podcast. I'm a host, Vinny. And this year it moved over to Corey with the Taiku podcast. So it's kind of been going on for, I don't know, maybe about 10 years so at this point, I want to say. Uh, all, all told, all things yep. considered. A, lo- a long time. I'm not sure if this was before or after we did Anime Secret Santa last year, but we've had Corey on the show before. He's a he's a really cool guy. He does the Taiku podcast and manga in your ears and like a ton of other things. The, the man is a podcasting machine. He cannot be stopped. But uh, Bill had him on to talk about um, Idolmaster last year, I think. Or was yeah. that the year before? I don't know. Time, time is so time is a flat circle. So time is a flat circle, Austin. I, I didn't know if you knew that. Yes, <laughs> I know. It's like a Christmas cookie, <laughs> anime, the anime Christmas cookie. Yeah, but we really appreciate Corey for putting all this together and uh, sort of carrying the torch. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just you know, have to have this. It's such a simple concept, really, and such a fun concept. Uh, it's something that I think could be carried on in the future but i'm you know being being a participant in this for two years now and i think you guys did it one or two years before me i can see a lot of the work that goes on behind the scenes so hell i mean at the point we talk about you know Corey's um story participation in, in podcasting anime podcasting but you know I, I could definitely see the work put on behind the scenes i want to give a shout out to him and i thank you for for making this project con- continue yeah absolutely because it, it sounds so simple in theory but it really does create well it really does require a lot of hard work to get something like this organized and make sure people get in their submissions on time and all that on all that good stuff um and it's also kind of um I guess if you took this thing and sort of extrapolated it a little bit broader to sort of the last year, whenever it comes to like, I don't know if you want to call it like the anti-Twitter space and like all of the controversies mm-hmm. and issues going on with Twitter and, you know, us trying to sort of collectively and individually find maybe new places to hang out on social media, whether those be, uh, you know, old places or new places or whatever, just away from Twitter. But like this kind of grew from there just to see this continue mm-hmm. Uh, beyond that and i think probably get bigger i don't know how many people they had participate this year but it wouldn't shock me if it was more than they've ever had that's just very encouraging to me because it's just like oh even if some of these platforms like die and implode it's like these people still make the effort to connect with each other and i think that's really really uplifting to think about yeah absolutely completely agree on that point but if you if you have not listened to one of these anime secret Santa episodes before, the gist is that everybody uh, everybody puts their name on, and randomly you were given one of the other participants, just like every other secret Santa uh, 
Dirty Santa, White Elephant. What are the different names they have for that uh, out in out in the Yankee world? Yankee Swap. I don't know. Yankee Swap. What? I've never heard of that. <laughs> That's a new one. Okay. Uh, well, the anime Yankee okay, I'm, Swap. I'm, I'm, I'm showing. I'm showing my. I'm showing. I'm showing my former. Uh, former. Uh, I watched way too much of The Office at one point in my life, and that's what they called it in that show. I mean, that's as possible. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I've never. I, I digress. I, like I never heard anyone actually say like white elephant. It's just a thing that I'm aware. So it, it's funny that we've added to this. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway if, if, if you want to think about a uh, yankee swap in the context of like sukeban girls or you know uh or uh that sort of thing like saki from uh yankee zombie land saga okay. you may gotcha gotcha so yeah everybody puts the name in the pot you all get one of the names from that pot and you give them three a choice of up to three things to watch. Uh, we kind of have all submitted, whether it's my anime list or anime planet or one of the hundreds of other anime cataloging sites out there. You sort of get an idea of what this person has watched, what they like, and you give them a choice of uh, three up to five shows to check out and review on their respective shows. So that is what we are doing here. We have been given a handful of titles. We've each picked two of those titles of the three and we're going to give you a little mini review of all six of those so before we begin with that let's actually talk about the third choices the things that we didn't actually get around to watching this time so austin if you want to go first what is the one thing that you did not watch well if you want to be technical i didn't i didn't watch none of it and yes, I said that correctly, I believe, because I did watch the first episode of the thing that I ended up not choosing, and that was March Comes In Like a Lion, mm-hmm. which is a show that's been on my backlog for a really long time. And I watched the first episode, and I'm like, okay, this is a little bit downplayed for what I'm kind of feeling in the mood for. It's something I think I'm going to return to later. Mm-hmm. But I ended up passing on that one, even though I have every intention to watch it in the future. So Santa, if you're listening to this, uh, I'll get to it, I promise. Uh, but the other two things, which one of I watched in full, and the other one I watched half of, but the one I watched half of was Love Live Superstar, which is, I think, the most recent Love Live season. Maybe came mm, out like no. last year. Think is that right, Bill? No, there's. I think there's more seasons of Superstar, but this is the first. This is the. I think the newest branch of Love Live at the moment. Right. Uh, so it's it's the first season of Love Live Superstar, whichever. It regardless of if there have been entries afterwards, but I watched about half of that, um, and I, Bill and I will talk about that later. Um, unless you want to talk about it now. Well, what do you just, think, Tobias? Just, Are we going to talk just, about that later? Nope. Just go over your choices broadly, and we'll go into each individually. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, we'll talk about that later. But my my number one series and the one that I followed through and watched all the way to the end and completed was 2013's Samurai Flamenco. Okay. And, Bill, which one of your picks did you not watch? So the one I did not choose to do was the Tommy Time Machine Blues, which is the sequel series to mm. the Tatami Galaxy. Mm. And the reason why I didn't watch it was not that I didn't want to, but because, uh, one, it's on Hulu exclusively, which I do not have, so that made it hard for me to get access to it. And then number two is 
while my secret santa said it was fine to watch it without seeing tatami galaxy i felt like i wanted to watch the original tatami galaxy season first before i watched the sequel it's funny you mentioned the hulu issue because i seem to recall when it was first airing that it was a disney plus exclusive that's that's globally but in America, yeah, globally, gotcha, yeah. Gotcha, but in gotcha. America, on in America, all the Disney ex- anime exclusives are on Hulu. But that'll probably change as Hulu merges with Disney in their Frankenstein merger. Yeah, they're already doing that. Like they've got the the beta program with uh, accessing Hulu content on Disney Plus. So, I mean, heck, uh, it might already be available there. Okay, because I remember summertime rendering also was in the same boat. Which was a yeah. completely odd choice for Disney Plus, <laughs> with all things considered. Uh, I know that uh, yeah, I've been hearing recently that Sigler Moon is now watchable on Disney Plus. So Usagi is a Disney princess. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Dreams do come true. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and what were the two choices you did watch, Bill? So, uh, the long series I watched first was the 2007 series kaiji ultimate survivor and my second series was probably one that both of you have watched which was i think 2018 uh devil man crybaby yeah man human man man okay and uh yeah so my choices this year i they were all things that i've wanted to watch at some point so i'm very sad i didn't get to watch all three but my all surround this time was And Yet the Town Moves, a series I know absolutely nothing about other than it's been something that I've, I've constantly told myself, hey, I should check that out sometime. It looks kind of fun. <laughs> and so it will stay on my backlog as, hey, I should check that out sometime. It looks kind of fun. Uh, but the shows I did pick this year, like I said, two things that I've been wanting to check out for a while would be uh, 2012's Kill Me Baby, which I think was one of Austin's picks a few years back, right? Two years ago, you it, watched Kill it Me was. Baby? It was. Yeah, uh, two, two years um, ago, uh, both, uh, both of these. So I think you got my Santa from two years ago. If I had to mm. speculate, I got Kill Me Baby and Andy Up the Town Moves and my other thing, which I ended up watching, which was Time of Eve. Mm, okay i don't think i got time of eve as one of my backup choices so i don't know it could be a curveball there could be somebody a different person with immaculate taste uh maybe eve's time has come and gone Mm. (laughs) and my other uh secret santa pick this year was 2010's star driver very, very happy with my picks. These are things that I've been telling myself I really should watch sometimes. Star Driver, I think I watched maybe two episodes, maybe two episodes back when it started airing and just never finished. But you know, we'll talk a little bit deeper later, but it's something I really want to check out. So I'm very, very happy with my choices. And let me not speak for everyone, but I feel like for the most part, all of us got things that we were probably planning on watching anyway. Like, I feel like all of our Santas were really spot on in, in making their choices stuff we would actually enjoy watching. So, general round of applause. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, uh, you might be. Tobias, actually, yeah, this, compared to last year, you didn't have one that was, like, I guess painful? Or something <laughs> Something that, that was, like, uh, we, I want you to see you suffer to watch this. Well, I got Housing Complex C, which uh, 
<laughs> it's a little painful to get through, but I'm I'm glad that I watched it and could say that I watched it. More like housing complex F. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let's get into the discussion here. I'm really interested to to talk about this because, well, first up, we've got Samurai Flamenco, right? You want to talk about that first, Austin, or do you want to do Love Live first? Well, yeah, let's start with Love Live because we'll give we'll give people okay. more of a taste before mm-hmm. I have to give them an extreme disclaimer that I'm going to spoil the entirety of Samurai Flamenco because, oh, and boy. I apologize about this for you guys as well because I feel like it's borderline impossible to talk about Samurai Flamenco without it spoiling it. So, my apologies. But yeah, let's let's talk about some love live. What do you think, Bill? Yeah, let's get to it. I know, Bill, you know, you're a big Idol fan, and me, I also like Idols, but maybe not quite as much. Uh, my Idol series of choice so far is Zombieland Saga. It's, it's of course, the best, but um, I had watched the first season of Love Live a number of years ago because my old roommate uh, was really into it, and he sort of pushed me to, to check it out, and I, I had a reasonably good time with it. I thought it was a little bit how do I say it? Like the song, some of the songs are really good. Some of the characters I like, but it didn't all like completely come together for me, but I did like it. You know, I thought it was pretty good, but watching the first third of Love Live Superstar, I was like, wow, they've basically improved this series in every possible way that I could think of. Like the, I think the characters are a lot more endearing. I think the character designs are a lot better i think this show just looks all around a lot more slick it's very clear that they have let the success of the franchise translate into higher production values and i think the songs are much better so i'm really liking love live superstar so far um what do you think bill i am 100 percent in agreement with you so my brief history with love live is i am team idol master which is the sister or rival idol franchise to love live even though they're owned by the same company well, now they're like buddies right yeah they had their idol super bowl event but that's a tale for another day <laughs> but but uh so for the longest time i did not like love live because i had only watched the original series and a bit of sunshine and my main two critiques with the love life franchise is i really hate the original character designs for Love Live because they all look like they were basic clones with different eye colors and they just look like robots and just it was creepy to me. <laughs> I just I just did not like the character designs whatsoever. And the other issue being I wasn't a big fan of the at least the OG music for Love Live. But I I decided I need to not be such a such a bitter fan and give Love Live another shot. 
And I'm really glad I did because Superstar fixed a lot of the problems that I had with Sunshine and with the original uh, School Idol project of Love Live with unique character designs that weren't all robotic, uh, really good animation during the song sequences that and oh, with, man. with good CG for a TV series, pretty good CG. And it was interesting just seeing the differences between the Idolmaster franchise and the Love Life franchise, which I'll get into in a little bit. I was a little bit warmer towards Love Live than than you, Bill, because I think, you know, my lack of experience with idol shows kind of gives me more of a blank slate to build on. But you come in with a lot more expectations, and that's totally fine. But I think what I like, again, I sort of alluded to this earlier. I think what I like is that, you know, it's kind of the same story, but just everything about it is just so much more fresh and feels like so much more unique and like i think one of the things that bugged me about og love live is that some of the characters were just like kind of annoying like they were more they were more archetypes than characters and i found that in superstar it doesn't really fall into that trap as much like there's not um like they they all seem more complex they all seem a little bit more fully realized they all have like specific flaws and specific character traits that sort of make them distinct from one another but they don't ever fall into those like oh this is just this character type like the the honoka leader character in um kanon she's uh very inexperienced and very uh sort of unsure of herself but not in a way that makes her feel like her defining characteristic is her i don't know lack of self-confidence it's like she exhibits moments of self-confidence and really leans on her friends and really learns and grows. And it never really feels like she's defined by that particularly, which is, I think is always really good. Like give me a, give me a cast of an ensemble of characters that really feel like people rather than just like, Oh, this is this character. This is that character. This is that character, blah, blah, blah. Um, so yeah, I'm deeply enjoying, enjoying it. And I think I'll continue. And I imagine you feel the same. Yeah, it's funny because as we were watching this, Idolmaster had a new series out at the same time, Idolmaster uh, Million Live. And while I'm enjoying Million Live, I've come to realize that Love Live is much more narrative focused, where they have an ongoing arc and a plot that they're trying to get to. They have an objective. Uh, whereas with Idolmaster, it's more about the individual characters and their archetypes and their kind of fun, wacky interactions, which I still enjoy, but because there's no st strong narrative plot hook to keep me going, it's kind of like, okay, that, that was, that was some nice candy. But, uh, whereas I would say love life superstar is more of a, a fully thought out meal. <laughs> if, if I'm using my, <laughs> if I'm using my food comparisons correctly. And speaking of meal, one of the great things that I like about Love Live Superstar is that one of the characters works in a takoyaki food truck, and I always like seeing takoyaki in anime because it makes me hungry for some takoyaki. Yeah. Takoyaki's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it is. So if you were talking to if, if should you if you could imagine yourself talking to a plebeian like myself and you were trying to convince somebody like me to watch an idol show who doesn't really watch idol shows would you recommend Love Life Superstar as that gateway? Yes. Mm, 
I, w- I would. Okay, say Bill says no. yes, and I'm going to say no because mm. I think that you for for me, I think if if you if you are a total like non if you're a to- if you're a person that is completely and totally not interested in idol anime this show is not going to suddenly make you interested in idol anime i don't think it is that type of show because it's not so radically interesting or radically different that it could like pull in people that are not already like predisposed to being sympathetic to this genre or interested in this genre mm-hmm. so i mean maybe but i feel like you you would have to come to it with like oh i i'm willing to watch an idol show and like enjoy all of the things that come along with that i think if you're if you don't come into it with that, I don't think it's really going to do much for you. But mm-hmm. I think it's really well done for what it is. So, like, if your heart is open, then maybe you would enjoy it. <laughs> Sound Bill like you were disagreeing there, maybe? Yes, I disagree because I think what you're saying is for a new person in the idol world, for a new person that get it, that wants to try out idols, they have to have a unique hook. Like Zombieland Saga has a unique hook of yeah. they're zombies and they're trying to keep a secret. But most idol shows don't have that unique hook. Whereas Love Life Superstar is a very well done idol series with, I feel, a strong narrative plot hook, unique characters, some good music video song sequences where new songs are featured throughout each episode, which is the key to an idol show. Is I, One thing that I think certain idol shows forget is you need to have the music. That's that's what being an idol is about. And I feel like Love Live Superstar so far has featured their music really well. And Oh yeah. Uh, all the music is great. Like I think the, it starts off so much stronger than OG Love Live, just like by a country mile. Yeah. So I think if you want to try the idol genre and you know what you're in for going in and you you don't need that I guess that sugar on the hook to get you then love live superstar kind of gets you set for the template done expertly well in my opinion hmm. well you mentioned um you mentioned zombieland saga and i was i sort of couldn't help but think you know another, another music show that had another comedic hook to it to really get you into the music was bochi the rock so do you, do you think maybe bochi the rock is an idol show I mean, it has a very similar structure to a lot of idol shows, probably more specifically Love Live, because mm-hmm. whereas, Bill, you said Idol Master is more about like playing in the idol space and not really building towards a goal necessarily, I think Love Live more so is that. It's like most of the time, like they're school idols, like that's the whole conceit. So like a lot of them, a lot of the times are like, building from nothing like some of them may have skills some of them may be dancers some of them may be singers but they're all new to being idols and i think that's a pretty consistent feature of most love live seasons as far as i'm aware again i haven't watched very many of them but i think bochi the rock is kind of similar in that regard where like i I guess maybe in bochi like they're all experienced musicians but they're new to like playing in a band together Mm -hmm. um so and they're like trying to you know, grow in their skill as like live performers. And it's a lot about like Bochi's own personal journey through getting better at that. And in a way, I think you can map that onto 
to Love Live pretty well, but I think Bochi is just a lot more. There's there's a word I'm looking for. Bochi is a lot more idiosyncratic, hmm. I think, than uh right, than right. uh Love Live tends and I, to be. And I would say the differences between Bochi and Love Live is an idol group on its own is very structured of we're wearing a very a uniformed identity in terms of what we wear, how we dance and how we sing. Whereas Bochi is we're mixing all these elements and putting it in a blender and seeing if it comes out well. <laughs> so it's just, yeah. I think different, different, it's a different type of flavor when it comes to music. It's also a different world too. Like the world of like indie rock and the world of idols is like, can be kind of night and day even if it's still about like putting on a good performance at the end of the day. But there's just so much about that journey that's different. Got it. All right. Time to ignore all of that, which you just said and move on to to the next choice. Bill, what was your first actual pick? So my real pick this time, (laughs) this go round was Kaiji ultimate survivor. So Kaiji is something I've heard about through other podcasts, especially AWO. They've brought up Kaiji before and Dempa. Uh, the former the former people from uh, Vertical is publishing the manga currently. I think there are four volumes into Kaiji at this moment. And it's a show that has just a very strong cult following. And my persons saw that I had it on my anime planet and said, well, you have this on your planet and Kaiji's awesome, so you're going to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> now, correct me if I'm wrong. Did one of the two of you get Kaiji last year? I think I did now that you mention it. I didn't watch it. And I didn't watch it in the years since. Like I said I was going to. Because I'm a bad person. Well, I didn't do it. I didn't with Kill Me Baby either. So we're both guilty. <laughs> you two in your backlogs. Shaking my head. <laughs> it was kind of sad then. It's sad now because Kaiji is one of those things that, hell, has been a known factor most of my actual anime days, you know, this is airing way back when I was watching fan subs and starting following things on the internet and it's mm. just never gone away. So it's really cool to see. It's like you said, it's cool to see Dinpa pick up the manga and to see such great appreciation for it. And the fact that your Santa flat out said, Hey, you're going to watch this. It, it gives me a lot of warm, fuzzy feelings to know that this is still, uh, still a popular choice. Maybe you would, say that the popularity of kaiji means that it's an ultimate survivor yeah it has survived <laughs> <laughs> so i think my secret santa knew knew pretty well because th- to me i would classify kaiji as a bill core show <laughs> <laughs> this, yeah, i this, can see that <laughs> they, they read you like a book huh they did because my pitch to people who have never heard of kaiji it's Probably the greatest strategy anime I've ever seen because there's so much strategy and manipulation and reading 
what you or what Kaiji is having to do as a player in these weird, complex games that are on the surface level very simple. Uh, and it's just it. Sorry, I'm I'm losing track. I'm losing my train of thought because I'm I'm just excited because there's a lot. <laughs> but let me give yeah. you the premise. Let me give you. The, so Kaiji is our main character. He is kind of a dead end loser living in this like small flat barely scraping by when a loan shark approaches him and says hey your friend put your name on his debt you have to pay this debt off and it's all like around a couple million yen something crazy that he couldn't pay off and the loan shark says hey if you get on this boat i i can get you this ticket onto this boat all you have to do is play this competition and you could get enough money to to get out of your debt and there you enter the crazy world of kaiji ultimate survivor where basically this old wealthy man and his minions i don't know where he gets the funds creates these games where he has all these people that have debts and they're seeing them play the games in order for them to uh, beat their debts but they're just enjoying the uh the sheer glee of seeing these people in, in agonizing pain and stress competing in them. And they on the surface level, they seem very simple games. Like the first game is a rock, paper, scissors card game. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot more complex to it because they give you a certain amount of money that you can use to buy other cards, to work with other players. And it's just a just, I, I, I'm sorry I'm sounding rambly, but just when I first started it, I did not expect the complexities of, of strategy when it came to the games and the human psychology element of the show. Mm-hmm. Because it's dog-eat-dog where you form alliances and they might betray you. And then you're stuck and then you're just going, I don't know what to do. It really did make me sort of think of the more modern Squid Game and the way the structured, you know, the structures are. Because not only doing these games, but like you say, they have to focus on reading the other players and what they're going to do and trying to like form alliances and stuff. I think they're very similar DNA between the survival, you know, the survival games we see in Kaiji and Squid Game. Yeah, I can see that, and the. The, the way I kind of described it to you guys earlier is, do you hate capitalism? But are you also a hardcore libertarian? <laughs> you probably, both these, both these strange bedfellows could come together and probably love Kaiji because the hardcore libertarian would love the, the esoteric world of Kaiji and the rules and the, and the dog eat dog world between the players and the, I hate capitalism. People would be like, the shows, the sick, sick, Sickful nature of capitalism and how corrupt it is and how it corrupts people to do horrible things. <laughs> so, so you're saying the anti-capitalists would, would love it as like a cautionary tale, whereas the libertarians would love it as like, ooh, I want to replicate this. Probably, yeah. <laughs> Just like Squid Game. Imagine that. <laughs> Just, wow. <laughs> uh, uh, that's not I, depressing. Yeah, I, I will say, uh, fair warning, a lot of the show is very dialogue heavy, where it's a lot of Kaiji 
doing internal monologuing about mm-hmm. like what strategy he has to approach and him thinking about what he has to do. So if you kind of fall asleep to very dialogue heavy shows, I this probably the show isn't for you. I would also say the show doesn't look the greatest. It was made in like 2007, 2006. So it's a bit f- fugly in terms of its look, but the visuals is not the selling point. The visuals, the, the, the selling point is the strategy game and the human psychology element of it, which is, which it blows me away. There's some amazing moments that I'm like, how is Kaiji going to get out of this? I don't know. And then he somehow finds a way to get out. You see, uh, he reminds me of JoJo's in a way. Oh, yeah. Because I, I, JoJo's consistently is like, you know, every every chapter, every episode, it's just like the characters get into some nonsense scenario and you're like, well, how are they going to, how how are they going to defeat the guy who could like manipulate time and also has like a weird cat plant in his stand's stomach? Like how, how can they possibly beat him? And then they beat him with something that just comes out of nowhere and makes no sense, but is awesome. Yeah. Uh, the, the second game they have to do is they have to on a walk on a beam that gets narrower across a building. And if they fall, they could potentially die. And so they really play on the psychological element of that. Of Like once they get to the midpoint, just the fear and the anxiety starts to take over. Hmm. <laughs> so it, it plays a really well i have one uh one complaint with the series and this wasn't this isn't a complaint with the narrative or a complaint with the characters but it's more i was grafting my own emotions onto the actions of kaiji where the thing that surprised me is kaiji starts to become more agile in these games as he goes forward but he always seems to have an honorable heart uh, even though if I were in his situation, I would be afraid that I would get very cynical and not trust anyone or be very cautious about what I do. And there's sometimes when Kaiji takes the honorable route, especially in the finale arc that I'm just shaking my head, just going, why you, You've won. If you do this other challenge, it's basically going against the casino house, and the house always wins. Why are you trying to do this? Even with his, even when he has a very sound strategy, and his reasoning he's doing it is because I'm doing it for honor, and to basically show the casino higher ups, the chairman and uh, Tanagawa, his minion, that. Uh, what they're doing is dishonorable and i'm just shaking my head and going well that's very noble of you but that doesn't seem like a smart strategy <laughs> so you watched the the first part did you were you aware of the sort of second season they did a few years after there yes i knew of the second season but um funny enough because of how tack how heavy it is when it comes to over analyzation and how like you feel the anxiety of them playing the games I didn't really speed watch Kaiji. I was basically doing like two to three episodes every couple mm. of days. Yeah. Because it was just after a while, it's like, okay, I'm pretty tired. 
I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna come I'm gonna come back to this. It stresses you out. It was. If you're it was, tired, imagine how Kaiji feels. It was it was stressing me out. So I had to like I have to take a break because I, I don't know what's I I need to I need to calm down a little bit. Yeah, and they also did the uh, the spinoff series a few years back uh, about so, yeah, Mr. To- Tonagawa. Yeah, Tonagawa Middle Management Blues. You think you'll watch that one? I hear very good things about it. Yeah, I I definitely am going to watch the second season of Kaiji and then Tonagawa Middle Management Blues and maybe depending on where the Kaiji anime ends and where Dempa is with the manga, maybe uh, rent or get the get the manga from my local library or see if I can get it on sale somewhere. It's not still ongoing, is it? Uh, actually, ooh. Oh no! <laughs> Let's look it up it, here. Manga. It, 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 it ongoing. Is, it, Currently it is ninety-one true. volumes. Oh, wow. Currently ninety-one, 91 volumes. Ninety-one. Yep. Yeah, that's like Baki long. <laughs> so we've got different Whoa. parts. It was Gambling Apocalypse, which is what Dent was putting out now. That was thirteen. We've got part two. Thirteen. Looks like thirteen volume sets. We're on apparently part part six. Tobukaku Datnoroku Kaiji. And the last volume came out, oh, geez, uh, two weeks ago, December 6th. Mm. <laughs> so The JoJo's comparison gets stronger. <laughs> it does. Part it does. six is what, uh, Stone Ocean, right? <laughs> Stone Ocean. Yeah. But uh, to, to just kind of to wrap things up, I really enjoyed Kaiji, even if it was m- mentally taxing. <laughs> I love the strategy and just the human psychology element of it and just the mistrust and seeing who you could work with and the fear of the of what you had to do and just the loss of what you what could happen to you if you lose whether that could be more debt or losing a body part or potential death. <laughs> So what I'm hearing is it's JoJo's Bizarre Adventure by way of Yakuza Like a Dragon. Got it. Well, my first pick was also a thing that uh, stressed me out a lot, and I could only watch a few episodes <laughs> at a time, and that was Kill Me Baby. Like I said, both of my choices were things that I had kind of slept on initially. Uh, This one, when I first saw the sort of preview image for Kill Me Baby, I kind of made some assumptions. It's got sort of really small looking Japanese high school girls. I kind of assumed it was for a very particular audience. The sort of person that likes very light comedy and more just, you know, watching just fun, like, almost do nothing shows i know that uh Iyashike is a thing and Iyashi, both Iyashike and japanese comedy especially japanese anime comedy can really be hit or miss for me so i really expected this to be more miss and completely ignored it but over the years i've heard people sort of mention this as in one of the things the anime comedies from the past few years that was really good 
and I know that, you know, Austin, you got those figures back, and I think that really kind of put it on my radar between that, and I want to say Andrew mentioned it a few times in our comedy panel, and it's just it finally wormed its way back into uh, my eye holes here of this year's Anime Secret Santa. And Jeez, worms in your eye holes, my uh, goodness. Yeah. <laughs> worms coming out of your eyes seemed like a skit that would be in Kill Me Baby, honestly. Uh, so <laughs> ultimately, I like this show... But I didn't love this show. I think that part of it is 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 certainly my type of off-ball, off-ball, my certain type of oddball comedy. They are very much doing um, what's that? What's that, that Japanese comedy that's everywhere where you've got a straight Mon- man? Manzai? Yeah, Manzai. It's very much doing a Manzai esque thing where you've got. Well, basically, it, it takes it, it. It stars two high school girls, uh, Yasuna who is the the goofball character is always just being really silly and coming up with funny scenarios and her foil the straight man sonia who is an assassin she's a high school girl assassin so even though that would make you think she would be the straight man in the situation uh she's certainly more you know she's definitely the foil for for yasuna's character and Every episode is Yasuna coming up with goofy situations, trying to convince her a second, uh, her convince her assassin best friend to not kill people and just play and have fun, and Sonya responding with extreme violence and punching her, smacking her, choking her. Like it, it's it's kind of the same gag over and over and over and over again. <laughs> for all 13 episodes for this so i guess that's where the kill me part comes from is all the physical abuse yeah it really is it's it's sort of sonia's this assassin so she's she's constantly carrying around knives she's got guns and she, we don't really see her do a whole lot of assassinating like in the show it really comes down to yasuna shows up she thinks she can sneak up on Sonya and like, you know, pat her on the back or something. But Sonya's uh, killer reflexes kick in and she puts her in a chokehold and chokes her out. And that happens like almost every episode. And uh, like there's so much, there's so much just um, almost stream of consciousness writing going on where there's sort of one gag where they mention, okay, we're going to do shaved ice this time. And eventually that sort of warps into them doing like a recollection of Japanese fairy tales. Like it's just, it's just (laughs) watching this almost felt like just a fever dream because they would riff off one thing and sort of go on that tangent and then move on from that tangent with another tangent. And, you know, there's so many individual skits here, but I couldn't tell you the way these things flowed. Honestly, I just have this again. Fever dream is a very apt comparison here. Just a bunch of scenarios I can imagine in my head that don't really make a lot of narrative cohesive sense overall. And I don't really think that's what kill me baby is, is trying to do. It is, is certainly a four panel gag comic style show being animated for fans of that type of show. And and then, and the, and the original comic, of course, there's some callbacks to other characters and situations. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of there. And I think at the end of the day, what really makes me sleep on Kill Me Baby is it's just, I think so many of the gags feel repetitious. Like I said, the, the violent reactions that Sonya does to Yasuna really just, they do that constantly. And it's over and over and over again. And even though Sonya is generally the stoic, steel-faced character, 
just kind of reacting to some of Yasuna's direct attacks, it kind of just got old after a minute. Like, you know, this is going to happen. You know, she's going to smack her on the head and she's going to have the big cartoon, you know, swollen lump on her head, or she's going to choke her out and pretend to be dead. Their ninja best friend, Agiri is going to show up and sell them some products that aren't actually ninja gear. It just, it's felt like it was done over and over and over again. And I could have, you can honestly get the kill me baby experience just by watching maybe a quarter of the episodes, you know, watch it if you want. This is certainly a thing I think would work better for me if it was just on in the background while I was doing something else, you know, not really giving it the full attention because it just seemed to really drag uh, over time trying to finish all 13 episodes for this review. Uh, I will say the one highlight would be the voice acting here. Both the voice actresses for the main characters really put the work in here. And while a lot of these gags can be kind of generic in ways, I feel like, especially with Yasuna's voice actress, just really puts in the effort. And even the death sounds she makes were kind of hilarious in ways. And I think that was, you know, a little a little infectious just to kind of hear those voices. Another reason I would maybe put this on in the background is to hear them go through the motions other than needing to watch it. So, so what I'm hearing here is that this is very Tobias core in concept, but you just really bounced off of it in execution because it's not as like as doesn't interesting the, as maybe it could have been. Doesn't have the variety. Yeah, I think that's honestly it. You know, I love I like I loved watching Azumanga back in the day and I feel like there's skits there was a narrative there, there was a story in Azumanga Daio, even though they were very skit based right. throughout and they were very different and you kinda got latched you kinda like really became um you really related to the characters, even though, again, they're right. all high school girls. You still felt like you were getting their personalities. They were all very different, and they would make, you know, over the 26 or so episodes of Azumanga, it really felt like I got something out of it by the end. But in Kill Me Baby, there's no real progression. They're just the same characters from start to finish. Um, like, I, like I said, like a lot of Japanese anime comedies really just don't land on me because they can kind of tell very they tell very generic jokes that I've heard a hundred times before. And there's only so many times where you can see a character get just shocked, shocked and have funny faces because how shocked they are till they kind of, you know, where's them. And this is yeah. what a 2012 show I'm thinking of. You can't help but think of Nietzsche Joe, another similar mm. four panel esque gag series. Nietzsche Joe has so many different sketches. Like you could never, you never knew what you were going to get. It could be you know, a simple thing where they're, throwing a little chopped up uh, hot dog wiener around and they're being really dramatic about the hot dog wiener. It could be a whole episode where they do nothing about talk about the fairyland up in the sky that creates the little cubes that go in one of the main characters hair. There could be one where, you know, they, uh, a girl loses her, uh, erotic Yahweh pages and has to suplex a goat to get it back. You know, <laughs> it's just kind of like out there situations. And while, Kill Me Baby reaches for some of those and there are certainly a few times that made me you know, laugh out loud. I just, 13 episodes, I felt like I was powering through some of those, honestly. So, I liked it, didn't love it. I would recommend if it's something, you know, up your alley or if you, you sort of jive with my sort of comedy stylings, I recommend giving it just a, at least a three episode test. I would not 
just like Bill could not marathon Kaiji, I could not marathon Kill Me Baby. Sounds like something that might work better in like a uh, best of compilation video. Possibly, possibly, yeah. Uh, another thing I want to mention about this is it certainly felt like a show written. It, it was a seinen, you know, manga, and it really does feel like mm-hmm. a seinen anime. The music's kind of offbeat. The ending theme is this very weird lo-fi chiptune. It's a really strange song, and like I really like the song, but it is very. It really feels like it is for a particular type of anime nerd, <laughs> which is which is me, honestly. <laughs> and uh, so much of it does feel like. I mean, even the opening, I'm thinking of the opening. While this, I didn't really love the opening song, it really does feel like a person like me that loved anime comedies in the, two, in the, in the 2000s and maybe trying to bring some of that back, even if it doesn't always land for me. One of the uh, gags they do is, you know, they, they start the episode and they say, since the, Eng- the title is in English, Cure Me Baby, they have one of the voice actors, actresses, maybe a guest voice actor actually say that cure me baby. And the episode title is always baby, please kill me. And they always have these really dramatic sort of baby, please kill me. And it's just hilarious <laughs> to hear this oh. very, very English, uh, dialogue. Like when they say pop team epic and pop team epic. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> uh, Tobias, since this is a gag manga, what's the animation art style like? Uh, well, one thing I did, I did like there, I don't know if chibi is quite the, quite the right word. Um, they're high school girls, but they look a little bit younger in the style. They're kind of giving they chibi-esque. They kind of uh, look like Lucky Star characters, right? Yeah, yeah. I would, Lucky Star is a great comparison, I would say. They're very Lucky Star-esque. They're very kind of simple. Uh, you know, Yasuna just has kind of simple design, short brown hair. Sonya has, of course, that iconic blonde pigtails. You, you wouldn't confuse any of these characters at all and i think it's kind of cute in that way cute and simple so that when we have the weird situations where uh, you, you know they're she's shooting somebody or choking putting her in a chokehold like it's comical in that way for sure it's, it's easy to watch for sure oh and is this is this show like 23 minutes or is it like pop team epic length no it's a it's a full it's, it's a full 23 minute uh episodes with with just the one core 13 episodes maybe if it was like pop team epic length it would be a bit of an easier watch maybe uh i think if 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 you want to watch kill me baby i would suggest not binging this it is your brain is going to turn into mush if you try to you're going to beg them to be killing you baby if you try to marathon this show (laughs) believe you me So, you, so what you're really saying is that you wanted it to kill you a lot more than it actually did kill you. Yeah, I felt like I wanted to die by the end of it. No, it was, it was. I, <laughs> I enjoyed it. I, I overall, I would give this a thumbs up. Overall, it wasn't my favorite uh, Japanese anime comedy by all means. I would still suggest if, if that's your thing to at least give it a few episodes just to see. But don't, don't binge the love of God and your sanity. Don't, don't try to binge. Kill me, baby. <laughs> And Austin, am I right in that you didn't actually watch this when you got it last year? Is that right? Nope. I have seen a grand total of zero minutes of Kill Me Baby. Mm. Well, maybe I've seen the opening. I think that's about it. But okay. no, I just I didn't watch it. Yeah, I think you may enjoy it. Uh, maybe. I would give it a shot, maybe. Well, I mean, uh, does it have a dub? Do you have any Ooh. idea if it's got a dub? Ooh, that is a good question. Well, it, it, Anyway, dub dub or not, I mean, 
if it's if it's anything like Lucky Star, which also can be slightly repetitive but still like kind of enjoyable, I mostly watched Lucky Star in the background while I was doing other things, and it seems mm-hmm. like this might be the kind of show to do that with something you don't really have to pay attention to. So I might try doing that in the future, but you know, based on your review, I don't think it's going to be high on my priority list. Yeah, looking at it here, I see some fan dubs on YouTube, but I don't <laughs> think yeah. I see. Yeah, I mean, and to be fair, like I like the Japanese dub. Like I said, it was really well done. That was the highlight. Hearing mm-hmm. their performances was really good, and even if the jokes aren't always great. I think that does add something. It's something I, you know, I'm not really a big voice actor, actress person. I've never really, that's not something mm-hmm. I've really cared about a lot. But I, I could say that I really enjoyed the the performances here. Well, maybe check to see if the uh, if the say you have done other things that you could maybe check out in the future. Yes, actually, well, I did kind of skim it, and one of them was in "And Yet the Town Moves," which I did not watch, and hey. a few other things. I think Sonya's uh, voice actress was in a, a couple things over the past decade or so. So there were certainly some other things I noticed. Oh, oh I think there was a Star Driver list as well here. I, I don't I don't have it offhand. I'm not going to try to compare it uh, ad lib it, but yes. Overall, thumbs up. Speaking of overall thumbs up, I don't really know if that's a good segue uh, into <laughs> your other choice, Austin. Uh, I don't know. Come up with a pun. Put it in the put it in post. Come uh, up with a post and a pun joke. <laughs> no, I think I think that's good enough. Uh, I, so my pick was Samurai Flamenco. Samurai Flamenco is something that I've, you know, heard about on the periphery and have heard from people whose opinions I deeply respect about how great this show is. Uh, So that's sort of where I was coming from in getting this recommendation. And my only previous experience with it, you know, in, in terms of actually watching it, is a single episode or maybe two back um, in a uh, Japanese club at, at college when we had our Anna Mondays block. And Bill was there as well, and we both watched it together. Yeah, we, I think we watched, like, the first two episodes. Yes. And uh, knowing me, I was probably only sort of half paying attention at the time because my mind was probably elsewhere. I was, you know, thinking about what anime openings to put in our opening reel. And I didn't particularly click with the episode even if i was fully paying attention which i don't really remember but all all of that to say samurai flamenco is something that has marinated in the background for a long time after having watched those first few episodes mostly from people again whose opinions i trust so i was very excited to finally sit down and actually give it a proper a proper view and it is 
it's a show I think I liked, broadly speaking, but I don't know if it's, like, a new favorite for me or that I think is some, like, immaculate masterpiece of the medium of anime. So, to sort of set things up for this show, it follows... It takes place in, basically, you know, modern day, like, 2014, 2013, um, Tokyo. And it follows a young man who daylights as a um, fairly successful up-and-coming model. But by night, he has decided to become a costumed vigilante known as Samurai Flamenco. Uh, So he has these aspirations of basically wanting to be a super sentai uh, hero. uh, Because whenever he was a little kid, he idolized watching um, Super Sentai shows on TV and uh, really wanted to sort of grow up to do that. Where uh, And there, there's a bit where he says something like, uh, whenever he was asked by his teachers growing up what he wanted to be when it, for his career, he's like, I want to be a superhero. And they were like, well, that doesn't exist. But still, he was just like, I don't care. I'm going to work out really hard. I'm going to basically... Uh, ignore everything else about life and just like devote myself to being a superhero that's what I want to do with my life and so he eventually does it and that exploration of him basically being an amateur superhero who is trying to be you know as as um, off the wall and, and powerful as like an actual like hero in the TV shows is is kind of the makeup of the first maybe seven episodes or so like it's basically him like getting better at being this costume vigilante and he's really just like taking care of minor crimes like people not putting uh the recycling and the trash and separating those properly or like uh getting on to delinquents for being out too late and you know like you know petty criminals thieves stuff like that he eventually befriends a a cop named Goto, who is another major character in the series. And their relationship sort of evolves as the show goes along. But, like, the first six or seven episodes are really, like, what if an average guy just wanted to be a Super Sentai hero in real life? And that's the conceit. But, like I said, it's very difficult to talk about Samurai Flamenco without spoiling it, so I'm just going to go ahead and spoil it. Spoiler warnings are here. There you go. So it turns out, after he defeats some dastardly regular villains and, like, crime has calmed down in the city, turns out there are actual monsters and actual, like, Super Sentai villains in the world that show up and have, like, superpowers. And the way that he finds this out is that there's a scene where, like, the cops and Samurai Flamenco are, like, busting, like, a drug ring and... (laughs) Just one of the criminals goes into a back room and, like, swallows some pills and turns into a giant mecha gorilla. Like, just out of nowhere. (laughs) In this very straight-laced show where so far you're not expected to assume that any of the Super Sentai stuff is actually real, like, suddenly there's this gorilla villain and this whole, like, evil organization called, um, gosh, what do they call it? Like, uh, the Torture Kingdom or something like that? I can't remember. It's it's headed by a guy named uh, King Torture. 
uh, <laughs> and you know he's he's very he very much lives to up to his name. He really likes to torture people, and he does so. And then, just the show continues to escalate. The uh, the stakes continue to get higher. Uh, eventually, they go to space, and um, Samurai Flamenco becomes a candidate for uh, president of the world, and it's very very ridiculous. Wow. But okay, okay, okay. The the journey to get there is is quite something. And um I thought I think the thing that maybe bothered me, maybe not bothered me. I guess the thing that how do I say this? I think I expected the show and again, well, hold on, let me preface this. So I'll say that for me personally, I'm not the biggest fan of like Tokusatsu superhero, like Japanese superhero, like common writer, that sort of thing. So I'm I I'm not like a personal fan of that, but I have a lot of respect and affection for that medium. But I feel like this show really is meant for people that are super fans of that kind of thing. And I was kind of expecting this to be like based on the first arc of the show to basically be like to play with that. Like what if there were no, you know, giant monsters for the Sentai heroes to fight and like a Sentai hero was just like an average dude. Like what would that look like in real life? And I found them playing in that sandbox to be really fun and interesting and made for some good gags, made for some good tensions between him being like a model and trying to keep a secret identity and also forming, you know, a friendship with this police officer and the cops aren't really supposed to work with him. It's, you know, it's very standard superhero stuff, but without any of the actual superpowers. So once they started introducing like all the more fantastical elements to it, like the actual monsters, the aliens, the uh, the fact that the prime minister is also like a common writer with his own suit and his own like bizarre and strange motivations for wanting to take over the world to protect it from aliens, blah, 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 blah. I was like, oh, well, they're just kind of now they're just doing a standard toku thing. It's like. It went from being kind of an exploration of, like, an interesting angle to just kind of being that thing, if that makes any sense. It sounds... But the way you're describing it, it sounds like the team had an angle. Then in the midst of that angle, they got bored and said, let's just go for the fantastical thing because we want to have more fun. (laughs) I mean, that's probably true. Uh, I don't think this was actually based on any pre-existing material, so if they were just going for it and having fun, I mean, I have nothing but respect for that. But it is kind of, it's just kind of a strange feeling to be like, okay, this is, this started out as this one thing that I thought was kind of interesting. And then it just became the thing that it was kind of commenting on. It would be like if, it, it would be like Madoka Magica, if by the end, it just sort of came back to the beginning of the show again. And everybody was happy and everything was good. Um, it would be like, well... They were trying to do something, but then they decided they didn't want to, and then they went back to something else. I don't know. So it's, was that a bit jarring for you? Just that the transition from their their original angle to the more fantastical? I will firmly tip my hat to the way that the writers and the creators fully committed to going super ridiculous with everything here. But it was it was very unexpected 
I, I wouldn't call it jarring because like they eventually do come around to making everything make sense. But it was just like, I don't think this is what I was signing up for. Not that I really knew what I was signing up for anyway. But I don't know. I just have very mixed feelings about the whole thing. Mm. Maybe talking through it will uh, will help me help me a little bit. So how is the animation? Like when they get to the fantastical part, do they go, kind of go all out and go a little bit berserk in terms of animation style? You know what? Not really. This, this show is very much made on a budget. It was a Studio Man Globe production, and this was 2013-14, and I know they were, you know, probably in their in the midst or beginning some of their financial troubles around this time because I believe they shuttered only a couple years after this. So it's a very very budget looking show, and I don't think it it just looks very very plain, very very plain, and I don't and and maybe that was part of why I feel so kind of like a little bit mid middling on the whole thing is because I don't think it's animation style or art design really matched the, the nonsense level that it goes to. I think maybe if the show was a little bit more visually interesting to match the tonal shifts, maybe I would have enjoyed it more. And it also has some very interesting tonal shifts whenever it comes to certain characters that are introduced in the show or certain like supporting characters beyond Samurai Flamenco himself. And I think there is some, there is some really interesting things that they're playing with there. Like for example, a group of the, a major supporting group of characters in the show is, is an idol group and they are led by a girl named Mari. And she has some very interesting sort of character quirks that they go through where she has a very she's very Oscar Evangelion coded both in the way that she looks and the way that she acts and they do play with that fairly well and in somewhat interesting ways and her her very fraught relationship with her other idol members including like some very odd and out of nowhere scenes where she will like grab and kiss one of the idol members who's like clearly in love with her but it never really seems to be anything that she's reciprocating. She just kind of see, seems to kind of be coming onto her for fun. And like, there's so much going on in this show, guys. <laughs> there's so much all the time. Does does he? It sounds like he eventually formed. He could probably form his own like Justice League or Avengers. He does. Type group. <laughs> he does. It's the Flemengers. <laughs> of course, I'm he sorry, does. The what? The Flemengers, dude. That's, wait, that's so, the actual name? Maybe yes, that's the name. Flemengers. So, yeah, so early on, uh, Hazama meets, uh, meets, meets a guy who was an actor in one of these toku shows that he used to watch whenever he was a kid. And it turns out, no, he actually is a Nick Fury-esque recruiter for a group of uh, Super Sentai heroes called the Flamengers, and you know he gets his whole group and everything, and they've got their they've got their Blue Ranger, they've got their Green Ranger, their Black Ranger, their Pink Ranger, etc. And they're also another set of heroes going on over here in this corner. And we've also got the Flamenco Girls, which are the idol group that are more like magical girls, but they also kind of fight crime. And Mari really likes kicking criminals in the in the nuts. That's like her main <laughs> thing that she loves. Uh, she does that a lot, and she has. Has like a, a magical girl staff that sh that has like spikes on the end that shocks people 
and uh, they have a giant robot later on. And like I said, they they beat up some aliens that come down, and uh, they beat up the Japanese prime minister who is seeking to get his approval rating so high that he can become unstoppable. And he almost gets to 100% <laughs> until a reporter live streams the battle where he's talking about his evil plan. And then his this this is so ridiculous. I kind of love it. His support tanks from uh, like 99% to like 5% within the span of like a few minutes and I'm just like there <laughs> this is so ridiculous <laughs> so like there's so much there's so, a lot here in Samurai Filmmaker that's really good but it's like so messy and like I can't I can't wrap my head around it maybe it's too smart for me maybe that's my problem maybe I'm just too dumb to appreciate Samurai Filmmaker well, I was thinking, you, you know, I, I coming out from the the outside in, I haven't watched any of the show, unfortunately. Another thing that's been on my perennial backlog, but you know, you really you mentioned that Madoka comparison earlier, and I can't help but think that, you know, that season one Madoka was like perfect in what it was doing. It was trying to tell this particular story. It walked away with a great ending, but then they kept going and they kept trying to do like milk more out of Madoka Magica. And I kind of have to wonder if maybe that's not dissimilar to your issue here, where they have one thing thing they want to say with this character, but they keep going, and they want to make they want to make the stakes go higher and higher, and thus kind of lose the thread and what they're trying to say. Do you think maybe am I going somewhere with that? Do you think maybe? Yeah, maybe a, maybe a bit, but on the flip side of that, flamenco also kind of reminds me of Gurren Lagann. In the mm -hmm. sense of that, like rapid mm -hmm. e escalation, like everything leads to something bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. And I liked it in Gurren Lagann, but I think again, maybe, and I don't know if this is superficial of me, but I think Gurren Lagann did a great job of matching its mm. tonal shifts with its visual, like one-upsmanship. Like it kept getting more and more interesting looking. And Samurai mm -hmm. Filmenko doesn't really ever do that. Mm. Um, so, You're talking so about maybe, the theme maybe of that, as well. Like the Gurren theme overall was that that escalation and getting bigger and evolving. Right. You know, so it sort of made sense in that particular idiom, but maybe not so right. much here, which is where you're getting the disconnect no. when it goes wilder and wilder. Yeah, and and again, it's like it 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 seems like the like what what you said is very crucial about talking about Gurren Lagann because you're right it is part of that idiom but here it feels more like these things just kind of happen to our main character like all these things are just kind of happening around him and he's like reacting to them and sort of you know he steps up to the challenge he does remain heroic throughout but it just all feels yeah it all feels so disconnected it feels like they're doing it to do it. Mm, yeah, and, it's, not, it's not really feeding into a theme, really. It's just because it's a Sentai thing. Like they need to, they need to escalate it because of what it is. Other than sort of a vague notion of heroicism or hero, I don't know, heroicness. Heroicism <laughs> is that a word? Um, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't really. The, the escalation doesn't really match the, the narrative so much. Mm. And then it just has a very... Like, once the escalation has sort of stopped and, you know, the, the big bad has been defeated, you know, sort of all things return to normal, but we have four episodes left where we 
pay off some things that were sort of in the background, but in a way that is like very emotionally heavy for a show that is mostly about just Sentai characters punching each other. And that also feels very strange. Like, not that I'm against, you know, these sort of hero things sort of exploring more complicated things, but it's just like, I don't know what they were trying to really do here. It's, it's, it feels like a show made for nobody. I think part of it is I've, I've noticed in the past decade or so of, of talking and watching anime that there seems to be a lot of shows that are best served by watching it as they're coming out week to week because you can talk about them during those those weeks. You can talk about things like episode directors and writers and sort of have you know other experts pick apart the references and maybe what they're trying to do. Yeah, I mentioned Madoka Magica. My experience with that was greatly improved by watching that week to week and seeing the discussion around it as it unfolded. I know that Samurai Fominko had a, a fairly active fandom as it was airing. It did back in 2013. So I kind of have to wonder if, you mm-hmm. know, maybe why 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 it resonated with your Santa so much and why it resonated with other people. If there's a lot of sort of discussion that you're missing by trying to watch it in one, you know, one one or two months that we've had this on our, our slate. I kind of feel the same way with Star Driver, honestly, to skip ahead just a little bit with the fact mm-hmm. that I knew this was well-loved and well-talked about, and I certainly did some research and to find out who these you know, the, the, the creatives who made it were, but I also did feel like maybe I missed, missed the boat a bit by not having those discussions as the show came out. I think that's a really valid point that you brought up. And I think that's very crucial to understanding Samurai Flamenco. And it might be more crucial to under to uh, experiencing it now. Like maybe this is a show best watched, like in a group where you can sort of talk about all the, all the, the sheer magnitude of things that happen every single episode, like so much happens so often in this show. Um, and being able to dig into that from an episode by episode perspective, maybe, maybe that's the best way to enjoy it. But because I watched it in rapid succession, I was just like, okay, I'm just very overwhelmed by everything happening in front of me. And typically that is not a knock for media that I enjoy. But I felt like I was just so inundated with everything in the show that it just eventually became sort of like white noise to me, especially after a while, which is why I think I really enjoyed the first arc of it so much is because it was so simple. So maybe that was what I was trying to get at. And I, I do I, I apologize to the listeners and I apologize to my Santa for having such ill-defined feelings about Samurai Flamenco, <laughs> a show that, you know, I admit, if I thought about it at the end of the day, I think I really enjoyed it. I had a good good ride with it, but it's just so difficult for me to say exactly how I feel about it because I feel so many different things about it. Like I, I wouldn't call it bad. Okay. Maybe visually bad, but you know, you know what I mean? I also want to add, this is a studio Manglobe show and Manglobe when they were operating always tried to swing for the fences and do really unique, interesting shows. But there was always like different quirks about them. Like, I remember when we were in school, they made Gangsta. Yeah. We were really into Gangsta when that was airing. But then that was when they were dying and they were running out of money. And basically the last couple episodes, 
it was like watching the last episodes of the original Evangelion <laughs> series, uh, where they where they just ran out of money, and they were having to use stills and whatnot, and, and there was also problems with the plot, and so I I always appreciated Manglo because it felt like they were trying to go outside just the core Japanese audience and trying to do interesting things, but they didn't. They always had little quirks about their shows. Right. And I have a lot of respect for Samurai Flamenco. Um, so much respect for it. I, I really appreciate how wild and it really, really did shoot for the stars. Um, but I think in terms of it being... It's kind of like Giant Robo. I'll put it that way. A show I have tons of respect for, but after watching it, I was just like, you know what? I get it. I Well, at least I think I get it. I think I get why people love this, but it just didn't click for me. Mm. Giant Robo is one of those things that's very inscrutable. Like, you really need to have a, a PhD in anime to really understand <laughs> what Giant Robo is doing with a lot of its callbacks and whatnot. So if that's a, if, if that turns out to be a good comparison, Giant Robo and Samurai Flamenco, then hell yeah, that sounds great. But it does have the problem of being <laughs> a bit inscrutable to a newcomer. Well, well, maybe maybe Flamenco is also inscrutable in a way that can only be appreciated by mega tokusatsu, like, Super Sentai fans. I don't know that for sure. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really seem like that angle is particularly thick, even though maybe it's playing with some tropes that I don't understand or, like, referencing some, you know, wild nonsense that happens in those shows that I'm just not privy to. But I definitely feel like this is best enjoyed by folks who are super familiar with that kind of a show. Even though I know Samurai Flamenco has many, many fans that maybe didn't come at it from that perspective. Um, yeah, it's. I think the Giant Robo comparison still, for me personally, is is pretty is pretty uh, accurate. I think it's a good time to invite. You know, if your Santa is listening or if anybody else is listening and has really strong feelings about Samurai Flamenco, I think I speak for Austin and Bill that we would love yes. to hear you talk about it. Whether, you know, you jump on our Discord, uh, you can find the link to that at thirdimpactanime.com. Uh, jump in podcast chat or the anime chat and give Austin earful of how how bad his takes are, <laughs> our takes are. Yeah, I mean, please. For that. And we would, I'm perfectly willing to be proven wrong here on Samurai from Lego <laughs> or to see a different perspective that maybe I missed. Well, like I mentioned, but, like, it's one of those yeah, situations. Email. Yeah, yeah, uh, thirdimpactanime at gmail.com, I want to say, right? Yep. Uh, you can yep, do that. that's it. I, this is one of those situations where I think bringing a subject matter expert in, and of course something we couldn't do for a Secret Santa thing. You know, if we were doing a full review of Samurai Filming, it would be different. But this is certainly mm-hmm. a point where I would love to hear a subject matter expert come in and really talk about it and give us a sort of deep references and sort of deep breakdowns that maybe we're not quite getting yep. for a, you know, a Secret Santa one-off episode. Right. And there are things about the show that I have not mentioned and I will not mention due to the runtime but there is there are so many nooks and crannies to discuss this show uh but but i'll, I'll just leave it at that um thank you santa for recommending this to me i'm glad i finally had the push to watch it because i think if i were watching it on my own i probably would have been like okay that was neat and then stopped and then never picked it up again so thank you yay Christmas. Yeah. And this is a good time to remind you, Austin, the editor, that you should probably put a timestamp here for spoilers so people can jump to the next thing. Yeah, Austin, put a timestamp for spoilers right here. And then make Bill do all the time codes. 
if Samurai Famicom was sort of a, a reimagining of Sentai tropes into something new, I think next Bill's next choice, Devilman Crybaby, is also similar in that vein. That's not a great. Oh no, Bill! That's not a oh, great. No. That's not a great start to this at all. <laughs> so, 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 I have to be honest. I'm, I'm, I'm coming into this recording. It's a bit scary that we're gonna get because whenever these there's certain types of shows where I, I predict Tobias when you when you watched Devil May Cry Baby, did you love this show? And that same same question to you, Austin. Oh yeah, I I really took to it initially. I'm a big Yuasa fan to begin with. I I didn't really know much about Devilman, but I really liked what Yuasa and Science Saru did with us. So I took to it almost immediately. Okay. I um, liked it as well. I I never finished it because I'm terrible, but <laughs> I like I loved. Um, I think probably the thing I liked most about it was the Yuasa ness of it all. And I was I'm coming at it as a fan from that perspective. Okay. So, I'm very mixed bag on Devilman Crybaby. Uh, in terms of Yuasa TV, I think this is probably my least favorite thing of his. I think I, my number one goes back and forth between uh, Kaiba and Ping Pong the Animation. What about Azoken? Oh, hey, I forgot about Azoken! Ooh, okay, three, three <laughs> cycle from number one. <laughs> But that's what it was. Sonia from Kill Me Baby was Kanamori, Bill's favorite character, and Izokan. That's the reference I forgot to make. Hey, earlier. hey, there you go. <laughs> Glad I mentioned it. That's wonderful. Okay, so back to Devilman Crybaby. The positives. Uh, I think Devilman Crybaby has one of the greatest anime openings ever. Like I, I never skipped it. It was gorgeous. Like, HBO would be like, this is an amazing opening for our show. <laughs> uh, I love the song. I, I love the animation style for that opening. It's, it's just, it's gorgeous. And the visuals with it. I love the music. This You would think with this type of EDM soundtrack, I would not like this. No, I love the soundtrack. It really fit the vibe of the show. And like you said, this show is very y- Yuasa in terms of its uh, look and character design and the demon design which i which i really enjoyed although this is a bit more subdued compared to his other tv work in my opinion but in terms of the narrative and the plot and the characters they left me very cold and that at first devilman crybaby is about akira fudo uh and his friend rio they meet back up and Rio reveals there, there are demons that demons and devils that we have to fight, 
and you must merge with one to become devil man and fight it and so he does and probably the most famous sequence from the show which is when they go to like this rave club where everyone's just <laughs> getting it on like they're in Sodom and Gomorrah mm-hmm. and then Rio starts violently stabbing people and he turns into devil man or sorry Rio doesn't turn into devil man uh Fudo does and for a while it's very kind of it kind of reminded me of a monster of the week type of tokusatsu show where devil man has to fight the demon of the week and during this time i felt like i never really connected with the characters like miki to me his um fudo's main love interest is to me was too perfect like she knew the exact perfect thing to say at all times she never seemed to have a character flaw um i found the side characters like miko more interesting because she got a bit more fleshed out she had an interesting sort of character arc where she was jealous of miki because they have the same name everyone started to call her miko and she couldn't beat miki in the sprint race at all and just the jealousy of it and then her kind of being a little lustful and i think as it went on i started to realize i should not focus on the plot or the characters because that's not to me the strength of the show the strength of the show is themes and motifs and what i mean by themes is it's very much exploring uh kind of the the sins that we as humans have like lust and gluttony and what we're willing or what we are capable of doing or how miki to me wasn't really a character but a symbol of purity like throughout the early parts of the show there's a photographer that's really just trying to get her to come to his house to take nude photographs and an early theme that kind of kept popping up is just we want to corrupt this purity of this girl who is absolutely perfect and is a famous track star at a, some reason Japan really loves track stars <laughs> Uh, <laughs> which kind of said which is kind of like okay um and so i i started just to view the show not through its plot or its characters but its themes and motifs which i think made it more palatable to me because for me the characters didn't get enough depth in terms of their desires and wants and they they seemed kind of surface level to me and the narrative plot was very thin until we kind of get to the end of the world declaration where you basically see the world fall into chaos and it becomes like the walking dead where there's paranoia everywhere and no one trusts anybody and it's all about um my own existence and it's like the Salem witch trials in essence and just full on destruction of the world um but uh yeah, just I I didn't really connect with the characters, and when a character died, I it kind of left me cold. Like when when Miki spoilers when Miki dies, I was like, okay, I, I kind of had a feeling that was gonna happen. Or when Miko gets killed, the only death 
that I really cared about was the um, the death of Miki's um, mom and and baby brother. I thought that was really heartbreaking and really well executed. But there were other deaths like um, Fudo's parents, which I really hated that episode because we're just introduced to them in that episode to be killed. And so I have no emotional investment in them being turned into demons because I just met them. So why, why, how am I going to care? And it just, it just be kind of became as the show went on, it's just like, yeah, we're, it's, it's cold and it's bleak. And I just became sort of emotionally detached from what was going on as the show progressed. But I understood, I understood what was going on and it made sense, at least from a narrative perspective, but, uh, I'm sorry, I'm rambling, but in general, I thought this show was really well made, but it left me cold. I think part of that is they're adapting the devil man story, which is decades old at, at this point here. They both tried to stay true to those roots while also adapting it to a modern setting and modern themes. And I think maybe that's, that's got something to do with it because, you know, Gonagai is, is a herald creative in the space, <laughs> you know, is kind of a, a weirdo himself. And I think Devilman, not to say it was just all, uh, all graphic for the sake of being graphic sake, I think in some ways it can get leaned toward that way and trying to make something cohesive and something that's thematically appropriate from what 40 year old material i could see that being a bit of a challenge for sure yeah i think too the reason why this took off like a rocket when it did is because yuasa at that point was still not super well known and science zero was a relatively it was not an established studio to mm. majority of anime fandom so when you first see yuasa's style and the studio style during the that first club scene you're like oh my god wow i've never seen anything like that but because i've seen i'd seen his other works prior the impact wasn't as strong for me i it's like yeah that's that's us style it looks good but it didn't have that wow factor to me like seeing uh kaiba did or or night is short walk on girl yeah, it's definitely going to be something specific. It's, this discussion really reminded me that I probably should go back and rewatch this show. It's It's been quite a while <laughs> since I watched Devil May Cry Baby. I, I do remember listening to the uh, Ancast back when this came out, and I do remember Zach had a lot to say about sort of the queer narrative here, how this is sort of a the the devils and the different characters that become devils and villains the other show were sort of expressing themselves and their sexuality in various ways and the way they were being rejected through that uh you know over time was something that was a really apt comparison i really i re- i don't want to delve on that too much because again as a straight man that's not really my thing and also because it's been uh, a few years since i've watched devil man cry baby to begin with but I did feel like it was trying to say something with sexuality and identity that I think made it work for me at the time, having heard 
uh, Zach's review. Zach, and I want to say Jacob was on that one as well, I think. Man, it's been like five, That would have been that era, yeah. Yeah, it's like 2018, so this is, it feels like forever ago at this point. Uh, I really, really enjoyed their podcast review of Devil Man Cry Baby at the time for that reason. I will say I haven't listened to their review, but I could definitely see, I can definitely agree with that, that there is... Uh, queer theming throughout Devil May Cry Baby like there's this one uh, track star I'm forgetting his name Mm -hmm. that is an open that is an openly gay character or you could that you could read Miko's feelings about Miki through a queer LGBT perspective and also the persecution of the devil men people you could also view that probably from an LGBT plus perspective. Mm-hmm. So I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt that. And I could see someone viewing the show from that lens. I think what made it, made it a hard watch for me is just how heavy it all is. So I completely mm-hmm. sympathize with you on that bill. And I do, I, I'm, I'm not saying that I necessarily feel this way about cry baby, but definitely when you are watching a piece of media that feels so heavy and so dour and you just know that nothing good is going to come of any of this it can really kind of zap the joy out of watching it so do you think maybe that's part of it here it wasn't that i wasn't enjoying the show i just felt like because this is a short this is a short show of 10 episodes uh 20 23 minutes and because of the material it's adapting it was hard for me to, to to connect to any of the characters and i sort of mm. had a cold detachment to where i saw what was happening and i just i didn't have any emotional feeling about what was happening to those characters and got it i i just felt like a um uh, just a a watcher just being like okay that's yeah that's happening mm. so and i think just um, not having that emotional attachment probably didn't didn't help. And also, like I said, watching prior Yuasa stuff and not having that impact of of seeing his work for the first time through this lens, which most people did, um, mm-hmm. that probably didn't help things either. That is true. I mean, we can credit this show for like kicking off the Yuasa Renaissance because it was after this that we got his stuff in theaters and then his other mm-hmm. TV shows and like. You know, things getting relicensed and printed, yeah. like Mind Game. So uh, well, I'm say, we have Science a lot Saru, to... Science Saru had was around a few years prior to this, but they are mostly doing co-pro stuff. Right. I, I'm pretty sure, thinking about it, this was their first actual sort of singular work. That sounds as right. Science, and, as, as and, Science and like, wow. And like, wow, what a long way they've come because <laughs> they've, uh, you know, they've gotten multiple segments in Star Wars Visions. They were the main production studio behind uh the scott pilgrim netflix show so it's just like dang what a what a uh what a massive leap in just a few years <laughs> I, oh, i'm sorry it looks like ping pong the animation was their first that's one like of my solo, favorite anime of all time <laughs> i think i think one and my last point is also i've come to realize that anything that sort of like goes super cosmic for lack of a better description um i just don't seem to connect with uh, another type of this was the is it movie or OVA Hells kind of 
had, oh, hells, yeah. had a similar vibe where I just didn't connect to that at all. And just was like, I just felt like that was an info dump <laughs> in terms of what. Well, yeah, I can, well, I can, I can totally understand. And now that I think about it, I don't really think this would be a very Bill Core show either. I can definitely see why you liked Kaiji and not Devil Man, just knowing your taste in general. <laughs> yeah, and I was, I was a bit worried that we were going to have another sort of, of, of course, Tobias loves it and. Well, like I mean, all. you're wrong, of course. But <laughs> I can, I can see why. You know, I can see why. You, Bill's not usually the one. At least I think is really into violent, really over the top violent stuff. Uh, you know, I'm glad to hear that you like the the, the the awesomeness because I don't generally think that you like the more trippy yeah. surreal stuff. No, I I loved. You're incapable. I loved Kaiba. Mm-hmm. Kaiba is one of my favorite shows, and Ping Pong the animation's mm-hmm. great, and I love Not a Short Walk on Girl. Like, um, and I would say Kaiba's much more trippier than Devilman. Oh, if there's anything I know about Bills, that he may dislike something, but he'll give it a fair shake. Yeah, it's, it's and, and, and like, watch anything. and like I said, I, I don't think this is a this is a a bad show in terms of production quality. I think it's it's beautifully made, and I love the soundtrack. But uh, in terms of the story itself. It left me kind of cold, and also I was do- I was in a bit of a Devil Man bubble for a while because I was also reading the manga at the same time, and it was funny seeing how they took a lot of the framework from the original Devil Man manga. The manga I found really interesting because it was like a window to the past, and also wasn't a a, a window of what was going to happen because. Tezuka, uh, Gona Guy's character designs are very much in the vein of Osama Tezuka in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then as it progresses and he gets to do more devil work and devil man's creature design, um, it gets more outlandish and kind of breaks away from the Tezuka mold. So I thought that was kind of an interesting adjacent thing of acknowledgement of the past and kind of going into the future ever at that time i i really enjoyed his devil creature designs i thought those were really cool the manga kind of does a little exposition dump um occasionally which kind of gets boring but there are good action sequences um and i i think i enjoyed it overall there's some sequences that are mostly in color that are gorgeous that i'm like wow that looks really nice and uh, overall, I enjoyed my my time with the manga with some uh, weird add-ons uh, with the with the collection that they included. But that's a, another podcast for another day. Well, I guess you know, Bill, you and I are, are bedfellows here. That you know, I, I liked Devilman Crybaby, but I would not put it you know super high on my Uasa tier list. But I I respect it. So uh, there there you go. The end the end all right and i guess that brings us to our last discussion for the night i watched star driver
this is yet again another show that sort of aired while I was watching anime week to week, but I just didn't actually sit down with us. I wanted to watch it. I think the initial premise sort of hooked me, and knowing the some of the uh, like the the writer Yoji Nokido, knowing that his his previous work on Revolution Go Tenna. Uh, sort of caught my interest, but alas, I just didn't dedicate myself to sitting down and watching it, like so many anime that come out uh, every every season. Did at any point during your watch you say, now this is pod racing? <laughs> now this is pod racing. No, I said, now this is the galactic pretty boy that I've always wanted to be. <laughs> and like Kill Me Baby, this is a show that I did like but I didn't love. Although I would say that I came away more positive of Star Driver than I was of Kill Me Baby. And I think, you know, I hate to give Bill a win here, but (laughs) I think that Bill's theory on hype might have played a factor into this. Uh, I think maybe I was a little overhyped. Yes. (laughs) Cheering. (laughs) <laughs> you gave Bill a Christmas W. <laughs> it's, a, it's my gift to you. My, you're my anime secret Santa, Bill. And that's what I gave you. Acknowledgement of your correct take. Uh, but I don't know. Maybe. like So going into this, knowing that, hey, this is written by the guy that did Revu Shigeru like the series, uh, not director, but uh, like the script writer there. The director here also directed a lot of uh, Sailor Moon and Utena and a bunch of other stuff uh, alongside... Why am I blanking on this motherfucker's name? Ikuhara. Ikuhara. Yeah. So this guy directed, you know, was involved with a lot of series that Ikuhara worked alongside. So if this is, you know, Rutena with giant robots, why didn't I love it? And I think what I think so is so much about, well, let me talk about what Star Driver is. So Star Driver takes place. It is, like I said, a mecha show, a magical girl mecha show. It takes place on this mysterious island. On this island, there's really only, it's like a small town, but it's really, the series takes place around a high school on this island. And the various high schoolers that all seem to be wrapped up in this this cult, this glittering uh, crux brigade, which is trying to summon giant robots, these cybodies, to some nefarious ends. And we have a, I guess a trans, it's hard to call him a transfer student since the main character, Takto, he ends up swimming to the island uh, across the ocean <laughs> and he just uh, sort of lands there. Is that, I guess that's transferring, right? Really? Yeah, sure. Uh, so he shows I up. I mean, he's being I mean, transferred from one place to another. Or, so in a very yeah. literal sense, like, he is a transfer student. He transferred right. from one continent to another. <laughs> Correct. Exactly. And so he shows up here. He gets involved because he's fighting against the Glittering Cucks Brigade. Uh, he has Wait, his the own, what? The, the bad guys here are called the Glittering Crooks Brigade. The Japanese, I want to say, is like Glittering Star Cruciform Brigade. Yeah. That's a mouthful. <laughs> it is. Uh, so, like, you get this sort of cult group that's trying to, I guess, bring up the end of the world or something similar using their robots, you have this dude show up who also has his own robot, even though he's not one of them. He gets a really cool, like, captain's jacket with these huge pauldrons, 
And as part of his summoning of the robot in transformation, he is the galactic pretty boy, the Ginga Bishonen. And his robot is very stylized. It has an almost, I don't know, like 18th century, 19th century sort of design to it. You have like a a tricorn hat with a feather in it. The feather is made of like laser exhaust. It makes no sense. It's got these like, these boots, these, these sort of high-heeled boots with these curly toes. The whole thing just looks very, very stylish, uh, which we'll get into Sounds sort of why like space piratey. Yeah, yeah. And, like, it just, there's so much style there. And so over the course of the show, uh, Takto has to fight against these, these villains. And, uh, you know, there's really nothing more I can say about the plot that would make any sense whatsoever. So I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> Uh, sorry, I, I don't want to interject, but I watched at least the first three episodes of the show, and, and I strong I watched the first three episodes of the show, and I strongly disliked sorry, it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> this is definitely wow. not a Bill show, absolutely. And you know, when I like watched like the first episode, I kind of wasn't really jiving with it. I think what I was recognizing is there's a lot more style than substance here. It was making that mistake. But what I started to realize is by the end of the third episode is that the style is the substance. And I think knowing that Mm -hmm. helped me loosen up a bit to it. If you're coming into this, you know, when you talk about cult groups and giant robots and bringing the end of the world, I can't help but think a little bit of Evangelion because that's kind of what Ava is trying to do in that way. But while Ava is aiming toward more toward a almost a hard sci-fi aesthetic uh, in, in the way that the plot is laid out, Star Driver rejects that completely. It is it's another thing I had was I couldn't decide at the beginning whether this was primarily a mecha show or primarily a Maho Shoujo show. Like I kept thinking, you know, which is it? Is it a mecha show that is using the genre conventions of magical girls or is it a magical girl show that is just happens to have giant robots instead of, you know, a transformation sequence. And what I came to, to the conclusion was that you really can't have one or the other. They are two genres that are working in tandem and really are inseparable at the end of the day. Like this is a magical girl mecha show. And for that, I have to give it props. I, I want to say maybe there's a few shows that have kind of done similar things. I want to say grand Belm from 2019 or so also want to do sort of a magical mecha thing. I want Escaflone. Like I've, I think I've watched Escaflone movie way back in my early anime days. I don't remember anything about it, but I know Escaflone was kind of doing of. a fantastical sort of mecha thing rather than hard sci-fi. Uh, but this is something that I think is for the most part unique, the way it sort of combined things together and I mentioned the style over substance, or rather the style is the substance. So much of the narrative convention is trying to do Unutena thing, where there's so much metaphor here. There's so much that is sort of baked into what they're doing at a literal level. And that's where the meat of the story is. It, does the story ever explain why? the main character is called the galactic pretty boy. No, not at all. (laughs) He barely mentions why the galactic is even mentioned. Why does it even matter that he's a pretty boy? Well, I guess it kind of does. They mention again, 
aspects of sexuality play and adolescent sexuality play a heavy role in star driver so i guess that makes sense although there are other characters female characters that also call themselves galactic pretty boys that doesn't make any sense but you know whatever this is this is what it's doing and are they doing anything to play with gender with that at all in the, with those characters in particular, not really. The the characters that also call themselves the women that call themselves Galactic Pretty Boys, uh, they are in a, a sapphic relationship together, and I guess it's. It, I guess let's just start sort of what this thing is about. This is so much of a show that it is is it talks about sort of the immediacy of you know teenagers and dealing with their their hormones and their libidos the the energy source that they even mention about halfway through the show that powers the side bodies is just libido uh, capital l libido is sort of a, <laughs> a a magical energy source just like any other show would like like spiral energy from girl and the gone it is the libido that powers the side bodies and so much of what this show does on a day-to-day basis sort of deals with that uh, structurally star driver is mostly a, a monster of the week show we introduce to yet another member of the glittering crux brigade what it is just one of our students that just happens to be in this cult we deal with one of their issues whether it is jealousy at one of the main characters and their relationship with takto maybe it's um Maybe it is trying to deal with family issues. There's you have each episode is sort of the, it touches upon some sort of issue that would play into a real high schooler's life, but eventually ties its way, worms its way back into being about giant robots. And unfortunately, that one of those kind of remind me, at least from what I've seen of Utena, that kind of feels like what Utena does in like its first arc. Yes, absolutely. That is, and I, I that is a perfect comparison. I think the issue with me is that Utena, it seems to mean something. I think Utena draws that comparison and combines those two elements together in a way that works really, really well. Between each of those segments in Utena, you have the shadow puppet scene where the game, where the 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 anime pretty much tells you, "Hey, this is the metaphor here, and they're going to fight it out." And you get some cool animation, you know, the, 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 the uh, fencing, the dueling scenes in Utena before it continues on. I feel like, unfortunately, here, the mecha fights are a little too repetitive. You do have the same transformation sequence, the same recycled animation, which, again, is a genre convention in uh, Magical Girl shows. If you go back and watch Sailor Moon now you're going to get bored of the Sailor Moon transformation (laughs) sequence after they do it for the 50th time. I'm sorry. It works. It's true. But it is very repetitive. And here... Or even, frankly, in Utena, to be perfectly honest. That's that's fair. That's a fair... (laughs) I mean, that's true. It is badass, and the songs are cool. But likewise, (laughs) it, it can be really repetitive. I think my problem here is that for so much of the show, in the middle part of Star Driver... We know Takato is going to win in the Talburn. And while there are moments of Sakaga which make it work, the most fights are really boring because this we've spent Dang. we've spent eighty percent of the episode focusing on a character and their issue. They get shoehorned into a fight in the last five minutes 
And it's not even a really well-drawn-out fight. You never feel, up until maybe the last episode, that the Talburn is going to lose. He effortlessly wins every single fight. And it makes me kind of wonder why they even bother. I think that with Utena, a lot of the fights have unique set pieces. There's some weird surreal parts to add to it that at least make the fights kind of fun to watch every week. So much of Star Driver isn't that, though. And I think that's, that's, I guess my whole issue with it is it's so desperately trying to reach for the lofty heights of Utena and trying to sort of do the same thing, maybe for a modern, more modern audience, but it just doesn't quite cross the threshold of being good, of being great, of being timeless. And I can't help but feel, you know, I don't want to just give, I don't want to feel like there's one auteur creator, you know, I, you know that I don't really want to, to, credit them and them alone but i do have to wonder if the absence of ikuhari here is really the main factor because the scripts feel the same you know kido's scripts feel very very similar but there's something about the execution that it doesn't quite cross the threshold from being a decent show a good show to being a cult classic show like utena has become So how, yeah. how do you think this stacks up to something that would have been like a contemporary to Star Driver, which would be something like Penguin Drum, which Ikohara did work on? Does it really compare at all? Well, I mean, I think it's very similar. I think all of Ikohara's stuff is going to have um, similarities with the way the, the younger characters, they're all young characters, I want to say between Utena, Penguin Drum, and Star Driver. You know, they're all like high school age. They're all dealing with high school problems including, you know, the, the burgeoning hormones of, and the immediacy of those problems. Uh, and they're all surreal in various, in, in different ways. I just think that <laughs> Penguin Drum dealt with like a handful of characters and ultimately sort of dealt with their past issues and had a lot to say about um, the sins of the fathers and some of the issues the real life issues with the uh, the cult they help they mentioned a the cult there as well you know in Penguin Drum and I think that sort of meant something at the end of the day Star Driver really does just feel like those stories are just trying to redo Utena and those Utena-esque stories and I do like a lot of those stories to be fair the uh, the standout to me there's a pink haired girl and her sister I think they're twins but really one of the sisters feels like the older sister and they have a little mini arc of like three or four episodes where you get really to see them as, and, you know, and the, the resolution of their story. And I think that's really where, when I think of all those little mini arcs, those little mini stories, that's really the peak of that moment where we see really deep dive into these characters and the way they feel about the fact that they're stuck on an island their entire life and can't really leave and how they feel about the giant robot battles that are going they're, on. And I think that's really what stood out to me in that middle segment. They're like the priestess of the island, right? If I remember correctly. Yeah, there's there's a few. So the the I guess to sort of not really going to spoiler territory, but the glittering crux brigade they are trying to use the psi bodies to defeat the spell, basically stop the spell that the maidens are holding. There's four maidens, the north, south, east, and west maiden that are holding something sealed away on the island. And the Glittering Crux Brigade are trying to break that seal to to do whatever, to do something. I'm not going to go that far into spoilers, but it's not a good thing. It feels like a very generic plot because it, it kind of is. And because they're doing this thing where they're both 
having giant robot battles, but also having high school problems during the day and trying to, the series is trying to play that thing where obviously the bad guys aren't going to straight up, you know, kill everybody on the island during the day. They're kind of hidden behind this, this almost staged act, uh, which, which I guess makes it seem a little odd in that way. But likewise, like I said at the very beginning, the style is the substance and so much of that, so much of that seems to work. The glittering Crux brigade—they're they're divided into sub factions, and they all have these very unique outfits. It seems like a few of them play on a few uh, like like suits and of cars. Like there's a, 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 a Queen of Hearts sort of motif. Some of the designs are just very BDSM inspired. We'll say <laughs> they're just kind of out there and weird, and it doesn't make sense if you come at it from a, like a hard science perspective, a more realistic, grounded uh, you know, expectation. It just feels very stylistic, much in the same way that the Talburn is and Takuta's transformation is. And I think that does work. Uh, honestly, I will say, even though I didn't like the the big bad, the big villain, I thought he just felt... Uh, he, he was voiced by the same voice actor that did Kawaru in Evangelion. And he is very much a Kawaru-style character. Just kind of waifish, just kind of around, but also plotting some, some bad stuff. And he just felt a little too generic for my liking. I, I didn't particularly care for the main bad guy. But the last episode, I think, really sort of won me over. It did bring everybody together, all the main characters that you sort of had fallen in love with, even the villains. It brought back all the robots into one big sort of final battle. And that's where, well, like I said, there were the bits of Sakaga sprinkled throughout a lot of the, the fights. This really sort of all came to a head in the final episode and really sort of won me over. And I think even though I did feel a little down on Star Driver in the middle, by the end, it really did win me over into something that I did enjoy watching. I did like like watching. You've, you've described reasons why you don't think Bill would watch it, but could you give me any reasons why you think Austin might enjoy it? Uh, I think that... Much like me, I think you would enjoy the characters. I think that there are, while a lot of the stuff can get perhaps a little, a little too sexy for Austin's taste, generally speaking, I think that there are some characters that are pretty fun. I think that the trio, uh, I think, sort of works. And that's something I also want to bring up thematically is that there's Takto, the main character, when he shows up, swimming to the island he meets wako who is one of the maidens and she's kind of an airheaded uh, girl in general but she's kind of fun and we also meet um what's his name uh, sugata sugata shindo who is like a super rich dude who lives on the island oh and he's also in an arranged marriage with wako but as we see very early on we see that wako starts to fall in love with takuto and takuto starts to fall in love with her and neither of them it's not really a jealousy thing ever. In fact, I think the series plays on polyamorous expectations between the trio throughout. And I think, honestly, if we're going to say there's a theme of Star Driver, if you were to ask me to sum it up, the theme of Star Driver is love should be nourishing and not controlling. And if you're coming at this wanting a Natuna-esque uh, play on gender or sexual, I guess, play on... Uh, gender identity and play on just general identity in general. I think this really 
does a, it it goes a lot toward saying polyamory is probably not so bad after all uh, I, I would say if that's if that's your if that is your preferred if that's your preferred identity then go for it I think it's what it's, it's, it's kind of saying at the end of the day and I guess to go back to your question of what you would dig out of it, uh, I think this this is a lot of the characters. I think likewise you would get something out of the pink-haired twins, for instance, and the characters throughout. Although I think Austin would probably be also annoyed maybe by the repetitious nature of the show and might not like all the designs uh, throughout as well. It, it can get a bit Utena fantastical, which if, if I recall, it's not really your favorite thing either. Uh, I mean, I my my heart is certainly open to that sort of thing. I think what what wore me out of Utena was the how repetitive it was. So I am I am typically not the biggest fan of things that are super repetitive. So that's definitely a a big ick for me. But um, again, if if something has some cool characters that I can latch onto, I I tend to be pretty forgiving. So I'll keep that in mind. It's definitely an interesting looking show. I like the the color palette that seems to be. Um, that it seems to be playing with and it definitely seems to be from what you've said it's like when when darling and the franks came out mm-hmm. and people were comparing star driver to it, mm-hmm. it it seems like those comparisons were fair because it seems like it kind of plays with some similar theming or ideas just maybe in a more more uh interesting way well i'm glad you mentioned that because uh that's the thing I've, i forgot to mention is that the mecha designs for both darling and the franks and star driver were by trigger's own shigeru koyama and they've they're very very there's a whole lot of similarity between the mecha and those two shows you got a lot of very oh there's also a die buster he also did the the mecha design in die buster which becomes uh-huh. a little more apparent near the end he has a very particular style of drawing robots and sometimes it is robots busy. that don't look like robots yeah like they're very sometimes they're very chunky but also they're very much modeled after people and stylized people and uh, i think that sort of ties back into the idea of this being a magical girl mecha show you almost could just say that that's what the transformations are in the same way that Usagi becomes this, you know, this magical sailor moon girl. You could just say the taco becomes the towel burn or the various members of the glittering cuffs. There's one that is just straight up like a samurai looking kadoon. There's one that straight up becomes a bull. <laughs> Another becomes sure. a motorcycle robot. Like they're kind of fantastical and strange in the, in those ways. And so if you, were like me maybe and started watching Darling and the Franks because of the trigger involvement. Maybe you liked seeing the mecha designs like the Strelitzia and some of the other outfits. But um, maybe like me, you weren't really down with what Darling and the Franks was trying to say. <laughs> uh, I think that these shows are very different in the way they address uh, romantic relationships and sexual relationships. I think uh, Dog and the Franks is definitely going for something a little more conservative in that nature and saying, you know, it's between one boy, one girl for the sake of Pretty essentialist making, at the very least. Yeah, it's like they're to, they're to make babies, damn it. But no, Star Driver is very much not about one boy, one girl. That's the, that's the recurring theme where Waka, when she finds herself both you know, in love with both her betrothed, Shindo, and Takto, one of her friends who also starts to get in a relationship throughout keeps asking her you know well you got to pick who have you picked you got to pick come on pick and she keeps delaying it until the end 
I think that you know it, it really has something to say about that. Like, there's there's something there's something great both about being loyal to one person and having a monogamous sort of relationship, but also you know that doesn't necessarily invalidate polyamorous relationships as well. And that is if everybody is okay with it and you let the desire to love your participants rather than be controlling of those participants, I think that's something that could work for, for, for people. And I think that's what Star Driver is kind of saying at the end of the day with its themes. I, did, I, I kind of barely had time to touch on it in uh, Samurai Flamenco because there's just so much other, so many other things. But like, I do find it very interesting that all three of our main primary shows have like some very significant queer readings that you can do for all of them in like very, very different contexts. So if that's definitely something that you're interested in, uh, all I think all three of these shows, based on what I watched in Samurai Flamenco, which is albeit can be pretty messy in that show, um, but it looks like there's a lot to dig in here for all three of those. So uh, if, if you listening at home want something to chew on um, in that interpretive lens, check these shows out. Oh, absolutely. I think it's a really good catch, honestly, uh, hearing that. I didn't really consider that all three had that interpretation. I, I, I would say overall, Star Driver, I would recommend to watch. I, I did come away liking it. I didn't love it because I think, again, I think I was unfairly maybe comparing it to Tema, even though it does um, inspire those comparisons. I think maybe that did hype me. Yeah, Bill, your favorite word. It did hype me a little bit uh, too much for what it could have been, maybe should have been in my opinion. But I, overall, I did enjoy it. And if maybe you're looking for something you tend to ask, maybe if you want something a little surreal in that way that combining these two very anime genres, like, can you get can you get more anime than Magical Girls or Giant Robots? I don't think you can. And so by combining them together into one thing, it's, very, it's kind of fascinating that it exists in this way. I would I would recommend watching Star Driver, honestly, more I can recommend for other stuff. Just go in maybe not expecting it to completely and totally blow your mind, depending. Let's not talk about Star Driver. We're gonna be here for another thirty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I just think it's one of those things that you know not show is for everybody. I can definitely see why you it's definitely not a Bill Core show. Uh, I think I was able to power through a lot of it because of that oh man one of their complaint one final note i think about star driver they want they deeply want to do like a, a hard science reading for why this happened there's a story about a, a fish planet <laughs> i'm sorry was there, did, I, did i say a pun there no i no, just thought it was no. funny it's like the idea of them trying to do a hard sci-fi reading of this thing that's clearly very fantastical <laughs> where they're where they're it's trying a, to well they, they mentioned there's a in the first the first arc the, the main bad guy, he captures one of the maidens and she tells him a story that's told over like a little bit every episode, like a thousand and one nights. There's a story about a guy on a fish planet. Yes, a fish planet. Sam the Squid Piercer. He has to kill <laughs> the, the Squid Emperor and report back to the, <laughs> the Fish King. Uh, the blood of the, the squid, the squid emperor. Who, who, the, he drinks the, the blue blood of the squid emperor and dies promptly because he was at a, a course of immortality. And he gives Sam the squid piercer a magical ship that will let him travel the galaxy. <clears throat> and like, dude, I loved Bong Joon Ho's squid piercer. That's like such a good movie. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm counting like my the, head against the desk. Oh. 
And like the way it's told, it made me think, oh, it's it 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 makes like I was seeing connections. Like maybe the show is trying to tell me that there's a fish aliens, and maybe the psi bodies are from the fish planet, and maybe this is all going to tie into the the story. And nothing really comes of that first arc. He lets the girl go, and she doesn't die or anything. She just leaves, <laughs> and, and like the story's done. So okay, maybe it's just a really silly, you know. It's a silly metaphor, whatever. And then in the second arc, in one of the last episodes, so one of the general premises is that the main characters, they're in a drama club. And yes. one of the big conceits is they're, they're, they're putting on a new play, and there's the big kiss scene. There's a whole episode, several, several episodes, about what girl gets to kiss Takato, the galactic pretty boy. And there's a, I think some of that drama really pays off. Like, I really like, again, the pink-haired girl, uh, Marino, I want to say her name is, or Mizuno. I forget which one is which. Like, she gets to be the kiss, the the one that kisses Takato and that was actually I liked I liked her little arc but then she leaves and then Wako gets to be the the kiss E I guess and like whatever but like they finally put on the play and lo and behold it comes back to the fish planet and how there's a ship that travels the galaxy and a guy basically has to give up his love for his 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 beloved because he gets um drunk off the power of the ship that can go anywhere this flying ship and to, to again, bias, it seems like to, yep. this sounds like I wrote all my D and D lore down. I need to tell you about my lore. <laughs> yeah, and like, a, see, and again, I think is maybe this a Leiji Matsumoto story. <laughs> it feels like it, and I'm thinking, okay, maybe this is still just a metaphor. But no, that one of the characters turns to the screen like she's possessed and says, "Yes, we are a race of the intro people." And we have a ship, and now this is going to end. It is is basically like you said, Bill. Like they had written a backstory for what the real, like hard sci-fi story, what the sci bodies are, and what people are, and had to get it out in the eleventh hour because they forgot to give her the time. It is the I'm stupidest. Gonna, it's like a bad DM where it's like, damn it, I wrote my lore down. You're going to experience more than I wrote. <laughs> It is the stupidest explanation. They could have completely cut it out. Like, if you did the whole Santa Squid Piercer thing as a metaphor in the first core, okay, cool, leave it there. But they desperately want to put you at the end and give you a reason for why the Star Drivers are there. You know, the, the metaphor for the big ship, that the final Star Driver is a big, honking, huge, giant robot. And the, the notion is that it says it's so powerful, whoever put it on Earth you know, was drunk with power. And that's why they had to steal it on the island. Big spoiler, like it really mattered. That's not really the point of the show. But like they definitely wanted to give you an explanation for what the aliens are and why the fact there are psi bodies on Earth and what that means for everything. Like it doesn't matter, what man. What it means. Like Star Driver, like I said, it comes back to the style is the substance. You don't need yeah. to give it a hard sci yeah. explanation because it doesn't fucking matter. The main character yeah. is called the Galactic Pretty Boy. <laughs> Just tearing... <laughs> Just you, you, you going through that entire spiel is just tearing my hair out of just the dumping I a ton of lore on you and basically just saying, throwing you into the deep end of the water, going, here, figure it out. And I'm like, thanks, that's not fun. And just the generic, <laughs> make, generic make fights and just the, the stupid Shabakamashana ripoff where they were able to freeze time. It, really, it did feel like they wanted to have like a franchising opportunity with this. They wanted to turn it into a thing, but they just couldn't make it work. I want to say there's a recap movie. I would not doubt 
that the Star Driver shows up in a Super Robot Wars game. I don't know. Probably. Maybe. Uh, probably. I it doesn't mean, it deserve be, it. it. I mean, <laughs> I think it, honestly, like it, 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 I could see the Tauburn working in a SRW game and even some of the, the glittering cuck stuff. Like it, it is troopy in a way that would really jive with that. But like you say, it. it feels like a very Japanese thing where it's like, okay, we need to have an explanation even though the show didn't really call for it. So let's at the 11th hour, let's sort of shoehorn it in and it doesn't even follow up on it. So like the fact that we don't even know if the intro people are real, I'm sure they are, whatever the fish planet really is, you know, it, uh-huh. it doesn't mission it at all. So you could just excise the fish planet bullshit and Sam, the squid picture bullshit out of it. And it would work just as well. In fact, probably better than that. I just want to mention that because it, it really drove me up the wall when I thought about it. Like they really wanted to make this, like an explanation. They wanted to give you an explanation for why, you know, the angels are attacking Earth and what does the geofront mean, man? And like, it doesn't <laughs> matter. It doesn't Thank matter. You for, Thank you for telling me your stupid D&D lore. Show. <laughs> this is just, so, uh, so how does uh, Sam the Squid Piercer relate to Dave the Diver? Dave the Diver. Well, maybe that's the sequel, man. You got to play the star, the, the, the game. Dave the, the Star sp- Driver. <laughs> maybe he gets a giant robot at the end. That's why everybody loves it. I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I again, this is not a Bill show, a Bill Core show, yeah. because of some of the yeah. reasons. I can understand why you no. would hate it. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 from from the limited time that I watched it, I, I really hated this show. I'm I, sorry. I can see that. I, I can see that. I, it, I really hated it. I, I had to readjust my, my, my situation because initially I didn't like the setup either. I felt like it was, it's very tropey, but it does play off those tropes in a way that I do think is interesting. I do, I've said a lot of negative things about Star Driver, and I think because I wanted it to be so much more, that's why it comes out. But ultimately, I did like the show. I thought the mega designs were good. I thought the the, the battles, the little surreal zero time situations around are good. I do think the characters, you know, maybe not all well-developed, but I do like them in that sort of a way. Um, I liked, like I said, the, the main characters were great. I like sort of her rival best ex-best friend Kato was pretty cool I liked Kato the uh <laughs> there's one character it's a girl she's the hot one and she's married to a 65 year old French businessman and even Oof. though she's a Japanese uh, high school girl she has a boat it's like a huge yacht that's moored to the island and she has like infinite money she's a business uh, businesswoman herself too it's not just she's living off her husband's money but like she's super rich uh she has a big boat she has a crocodile that lives on the boat by the way which is a comes yeah. to play in a few a few episodes like i kind of liked her character by the end uh it was she was kind of a fun Deus Ex Machina almost to have a character with infinite money with all this. Deus Ex Crocina. <laughs> great. Great. Got him. I, I like I liked a lot of the glittering like I did like the glittering cooks brigade overall. They were kind of silly. They always do this thing. They where, were so serious where it's like, you must defeat him. Get into the pod, or if you fail, we will smite you down and you will never see you again. Goodbye. Gosh dang. Now so, I really want Bill to watch the rest of this show so he can go off the rest of it. This is so entertaining. It is it is it is very serious in that way. Like it is everything feels like a stage play. You almost like a stage play with the Sam the Squid Piercer bed, but yeah. like everything just, feels just, like a stage just, play. Just like when you're in high school and you're in the drama mm-hmm. club and you're super mm-hmm. serious. Yeah. And just like you're overacting. That's what this show was, was overacting yeah. D D lore and boring mech fights. 
Well, it sounds like it's the perfect pairing with Samurai Flamenco okay. because it seems like a whole bunch of freaking nonsense just happens in both of these shows. <laughs> there, there's a lot of freaking nonsense. I do like the um, when when the bad guys get in their robot. You know, Tauburn, the Tauburn animation is the same every single time, and it kind of kind of grated me a bit. But when the bad guys get in the robot, they actually get in like the cyber casket is what they call it, and the cyber oh, casket is, is like it's like screwed into the the machine, so like it's very forceful very forceful and something i noticed like the cyber casket gets reeled into the apparatus they get pulled up the the person inside gets like restrained with like like a like a, a, a neck brace it's like and stuff it's like they're it's like they're being put into a casket yeah like they're being forced and like it feels very violent and i don't know i kind of feel like it worked in what the series was doing with those and uh even though they are not supposed to you know tell each other who they are there's a lot of times where they figure it out and they salute. They'll like, so they do a salute where they put kind of their hand over their their thigh and say, you know, glittering Akiraboshi, the glittering star. And they, they always have to respond back in kind. And this is something kind of fun about the, uh, the the conspiracy bits. Almost they're almost sort of like a Illuminati style conspiracy going on. And I thought straight that out actually of code, worked. Straight out of Code Geass. <laughs> yeah, like I think it. I think it honestly was kind of fun in that way. The bad guys were fun. Uh, speaking of the bad guys, one of them, uh, Kato. She was, she was Waka's best friend growing up, and they wanted to be idol stars, but that didn't work out. But Kato eventually got a job in a karaoke bar. So there's a scene where you see her doing a very idol style dance in a song, and Takuto walks in on her right when she finishes, and like just, it was perfect comedic timing. I want to point that out because that was that made me laugh out loud in a way that nothing else in this show did. <laughs> are, we, are we done? Yeah, uh, Star Driver, watch it. Don't. It's not a ten out of ten for sure. I'd give it maybe a seven or so if I were to give it a rating. I dug it, but it's not for everyone for sure. Three, three out of ten. Okay, Bill. Okay, Bill. You have to give hey, me three plus three plus seven is ten. So there you go. I'm I'm never gonna watch Love Live, so you can never watch Star Driver. Perfect trade, in my opinion. Yeah, All right. All right, let's go ahead and get us out of here, guys. So I want to thank you guys for listening to another year of Anime Secret Sama. I think we all got something out of our picks this year in the discussion. Uh, yes, for we sure. did. And I think we're all looking forward to participating in it next year as well. I'll be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, like we said, we've got coming up here just uh, this week hopefully would be our best of 2023 episode where you've got several members of the podcast uh, to chime in just like we did last year about some of the top media choices they experienced this year whether it be anime or video games or movies or what have you so that'll be something you can add to your holiday playlist uh, you like can hear tobias talk about how much he loved the latest miyazaki film the boy in the <laughs> <laughs> like we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast austin and bill were on an episode of the sideburns and cigarettes lupon podcast uh talking about what was in an episode of part two of lupon yeah. Right? yeah yeah it's, it's part it's two episode ep- of, yes. it's like part two episode 34 uh where it's i forget the title but that's the ep- that's, i a- know that i know that's the episode number it's called but your brother was such a nice guy and i promise this is tangentially christmas related <laughs> so if you want to hear their voices talking more about anime go check that out i'm sure we'll have a link in the show notes as far as other recent projects uh we our most recent episode of a grand line reborn where i talked a bit about about water seven 
uh, should already be out in your feeds. Uh, we still need to talk about finishing up Heavensward with the 3.x patches. I know Bill is anxious to get to Stormblood, so we need to get that out as soon as possible. Yep. Uh, on the 14 front, I'm still overworking with the Carbuncle Chronicle, talking about various stuff. We actually had a guest on here. We had Mippa, who just recently voiced Kazumi in the Discotheque Gunbuster dub. Oh, how fun. Uh, yeah. On um, the awesome cast interview they did with her, we found out she was a 14 player. Uh, I'm sorry, her name is Melissa Sternenberg. I should actually tell you her, her real name as well. Uh, but uh, we found out she was a 14 player, an avid 14 player. So we had her on talking about the newest patch. And by the time this episode is out in your ear holes, we'll probably be talking about the Japanese fan fest that's coming out just in a few weeks. Where we'll be finding out the last bit of information about Dawn Trail coming out in about six months. All right, so if you want to check out more of our stuff we mentioned at the beginning of the show about our Discord, you can find the link to that at thirdimpactanime.com, where you can. Uh, we have all of our podcasts available over there, links to all our social media. We have links to our Patreon. Uh, we'd greatly appreciate you throwing us a few bucks. That helps us do what we do, continue to do this. And if you uh, subscribe to a particular backer tier, you can get access to particular channels on our Discord, as well as uh, access to give us some suggestions for future episodes as well. I believe this past year we did um, an episode on Pat Labor, the Pat Labor OVA series, which was suggested to us by Drew of the Sideburns of Cigarettes podcast. Who is also a patron. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, if you have any feedback on what we talked about, if you want to maybe uh, give me a little more information about why Star Driver is great and why Bill should watch Star Driver, or maybe you want to talk to Austin a little bit more about Samai Flamenco and the things that he missed. Or maybe you want to convince me that Kill Me Baby was actually a work of comedic genius, then you can join our Discord and talk about those things uh, there. Uh, lastly, you can find us on social media. I believe the main podcast, we still have a Facebook page if you're on Facebook there. I believe we have an Instagram page as well. Is that right, Austin? That's right. I'm pretty active on trying to post on the Instagram every couple days, so expect updates over there. Uh, and on our Blue Sky, probably the most frequently. Instagram and Blue Sky are where I'm posting most often these days. Exactly. And I know that you're also on Blue Sky individually, Austin. What is your Blue Sky? My Blue Sky handle is Ars Arcantum. That's A-R-S-A-R-C-A-N-T-U-M. And if you don't know how to spell that, it's in the show notes. You can't even spell that. What are you talking about? That's true. I probably misspelled it. I am so bad at spelling things out loud. I could never be in a spelling bee. <laughs> and Bill, are you also on Blue Sky? I think you're still there, right? Yeah, I'm still there. I'm not as active as I probably should be, but instead of promoting my boring Blue Sky, I would like to point to you to go back into our podcast feed when I did an episode by myself covering the fall seasonal anime of this year. Uh, kind of when we were in the midst of it, we we're coming towards the end as of this recording. We're, we're getting towards, uh, we're going to be in the winter season pretty soon. So yeah, if you want to hear my thoughts on stuff like the new Spy Family season or Apothecary Diaries or... Uh, How much you liked Free Rim? I'm going to give that show another shot. I'm going to try, I'm going to try, I'm going <laughs> yeah. to try the dub because I realized... Free in, That's great. Freehan has a, has a monotone voice, and that probably put me to sleep. 
So we're going to try the dub, and we're going to see how the dub goes. But yeah, my, my initial thoughts on Freem. <laughs> and uh, yeah, maybe I'll come back and record an addendum where I'll be like, I was totally wrong. The dub, the dub, well, you, the dub was the answer. To fix you my may problems. get a chance because this is the second time it's going to be brought up on an episode. We are going to be doing a free run podcast in 2024. You heard it here first, folks. You heard it here second because it was mentioned on a pre- on the AWA episode. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I want to say, Bill, your episode wasn't that far back in the feed. So if you're just now subscribing nah. to our podcast feed, just a few episodes back. Or you could listen to our convention review of Anime Week in Atlanta 2023 that I just mentioned. Absolutely. That was the one. Should be the one right before this one. If That's all correct. In a row. All right. I guess you can find me on Blue Sky as well. I'm just there as R Tobias. Certainly more active than Bill, maybe not as much as Austin, but that's that's where you can find me, other than the Discord, which you should already be on. If you're listening to this it stands, episode. It stands for Rick Tobias. Rip ripped. <laughs> ripped. <laughs> ripped. Star Driver, Star Driver got me so pumped, I'm just ah so great. <laughs> Alright guys. Well, I guess that's it. We wanna wish all of you a happy holidays and a merry, hopefully merry, twenty twenty four. Say wahoo! Oh. Whoa! Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> and a happy anime Christmas! <laughs> Perfect. We're done here. <laughs>